follow your passion, double down on your strengths, find out what really drives you and move into that space. This is Tom Otten and welcome to Chapters of My Life podcast. Excited to have Tom Otten on my podcast. Tom is founder and director of Great Media Group and TEDx speaker. Tom someone who ran the Marathon Desires, a six-day, 251-kilometer ultramarathon through the Moroccan desert. Someone who overcame cancer and now has an entrepreneurial mindset from which many young and established entrepreneurs and venture founders can only learn from. The inner fight and self-awareness is key for him. As he said, don't think what other people think about you. Building great relationships in businesses are a fundamental part in his day-to-day -day work. It's about the people, the team, the clients he works with, and its relationship, which aims to build trust on a daily basis. The power of the team is so much stronger than any individual success. With finding a personal routine for morning sports and meditation or being grateful of what daily lives provide you, he and his team grow great media group based in Dubai the mobile-first digital communication agency to a 30-plus team. Being humble, but at the same time, improving the process on daily work, that's a growth and down-to-earth mindset. In our, in our conversation, Tom chooses four chapters in his Chapters of My Life book called Chasing Adventures. And guess what? It's all about adventures and living life with all its uncertainties in the moment. Great insights for millennials to learn from and if you are on a difficult career path, struggle with finding your passion in life, or looking for next sporty or entrepreneurial adventure, that's a talk to listen to. Also folks, great news, after some feedback we started to create something new called Quotes Corner. Who likes quotes? I'm pretty sure everyone of us got at least one quote in life to remember. Quotes are amazing, to listen like small statements to get the energy boost you sometimes need. Just before a race, exam or tough work project, corner are snippets and highlights of the whole recording from each speaker. Easily accessible on a separate playlist on our website, exclusive on chaplessofmylife.org and also on the show notes. Each talk got this playlist and more and more quotes will be added over time. See it as an inspirational summary of a long talk, few seconds to a minute. And if you ask yourself, what actually is Chapter of My Life podcast? You can only ask you the question, imagine your past life. So, right, where should I start? Imagine you need to write your life story in the form of a book already. And often we think we have to be 60, 70, 80 years old to do that. But it's a challenge itself, and frankly, not everyone has thought of this, as we all think when we get older, we should write about our life. But in fact, we have so many experiences ready to share with others already. Achievements, failures to learn from, positive and negative life transitions, which in the end lead to the person we are today. This Chapters of My Life podcast is an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audiobook format, capturing the real power and belief of people doing important life-changing decisions to inspire other millennials to learn from and to see that life transitions are here to help. We interview innovators, athletes, entrepreneurs and idealists, giving an insight into their past life from young age till today and maybe future untold plans and recovering topics around sport, entrepreneurship, mindfulness, travel, nutrition, meditation and much more. 
everything which leads to the person they are today. Interviewed by me, Daniel Ludwig, led by Daniel Ludwig. Alright, entrepreneurship, growth mindset, personal development, finding your passion and real growth. With these words, I let the talk begin. Enjoy. So here we are. <laughs> Thanks, Tom, for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me on the uh, on the podcast. It's a beautiful, small, but actually it's not that small, great office in Dubai. Thank you very much. First time. Um, and that on a Friday morning. Yes, it's relaxed on a Friday morning, so we've got a bit of time to talk. Yeah, so for the listeners who are not familiar what it means to have a relaxed Friday morning here in Dubai, it's usually yep. a weekend. Exactly that. And first Friday, first thing in the on a Friday morning. Yeah. Well, to be honest, if, you, if you're here at any other time, it's just chaos inside the office. And we're a very busy digital agency. Um, we've got about 35 people in the office, so there's people running around. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of talking, a lot of meetings going on. So this is the calmest it, it ever is during the week. <laughs> it's like perfect work environment, technically. Yeah. So um, I had a brief, or I mentioned it very briefly in the intro, who you are. Okay. And... I did not plan that actually in the beginning of the podcast, but I something kept me thinking today in the morning. You sent me a message about saying like, you know, can we push that meeting half an hour later mm. because I'm still in training. Yeah. And I know that you are following you on Instagram that you kept training a lot. Yeah. So what did you do today in the morning and why? What well, kind of training? Like literally the hottest part of the summer in Dubai. Yes, what it did is. You do? Um, look, to, to be honest, uh, Friday mornings are pretty much the one of the few times where I have the time and the uh, sort of the mental capacity to go and do sort of slightly longer um, training. So anything sort of over 20 kilometers running. Um, yeah, look, it's a little bit interesting uh, to, to outsiders that are not in that space when, um, when they see you running up and down the road and it's, what, it was about 40 degrees, uh, 30, 38 to 40 degrees this morning and about 60% humidity, something like that. So it's, it's, it's pretty uncomfortable, um, but that's part of it. You know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm currently training for a, a much longer ultra marathon which I'm, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute based on our, our conversations <laughs> offline. Um, but yeah, so that, that's what I was doing. So I was out there and then, uh, and then I actually today for the first time, I was trying to do heart rate training. So try and keep my heart rate low um, and, go, and go for a long period of time. Uh, it's one of the ways that you train for, for long um, endurance events. But I couldn't keep my heart rate down because the, the, the weather was just too hot. So I actually jumped in a taxi after about 11 kilometers, went back yeah. home. And then jumped on a treadmill and then finished the finished the rest of my it's running. The worst condition to actually lower your heart rate yeah. when you run. <laughs> yeah, it was um, yeah, it was pretty wet. I don't think the taxi driver was overly impressed with me. Okay, but well, it's also sweaty in the in the taxi. Yeah, yeah, it was all pretty wet. Place. Pretty well, like, pretty much <laughs> like you just jumped into the sea. But um, but it was all, it was all good. It was a good training session this morning. Brilliant. So, um, Tom, you posted something the other day, and I want to quickly jump into this um, mm. before later we go into your life in the live chapters sure. and you mentioned something very interesting and I kind of felt this is a message to young people as well you wrote in one of the Instagram posts you said too many people are maximize are not maximizing their potential positive impact in the world because they are worried about what people might say if they just get out there and just doing it mm. so literally being afraid mm. of being judged yeah how many times did you had face that by yourself many many times to be honest I, it was a real issue for me um growing up i'm not i'm not sure why i was always uh, concerned about other people's judgment and it was it was in my head for for the longest time uh it started to decrease as i got a little bit older um and now it's uh, it's not an issue for me anymore 
Um, however, I just, I, I do, because I've been through that process myself many times, I do empathize with people that, that really do have that in the back of their head. They, you know, they, they do struggle with, um, with perceived judgment. They, they won't put themselves on stage to do any public speaking. They won't, um, you know, they, they won't speak up sometimes when they need to speak up. They won't have an uncomfortable conversation when they need to have an uncomfortable conversation. And, and people are often uh, too concerned with, people, other, with others' uh, judgments and opinions on them. And growing up is one of the things I wish I'd, I'd learned more as a, as a kid, uh, that that just doesn't matter. Especially when you get, you know, you get hindsight, I'm 36 now, you have the hindsight of looking back in earlier years and you think, why was I so concerned with what that group of people thought of me when I don't even speak to any of those people yeah. anymore they're not significant in my life but at the time you think your friends are going to be your friends forever or yeah. not necessarily your friends but um let's say the the people you hang around with your the people that are in school you know that's what that's often the, the scenario whether it be school or university you're so concerned about um other people's opinions that uh different people have different uh, let's say um, levels of that um even people that are that are quite confident are often uh, internally, they still have this internal monologue with them, with themselves, uh, which which is detrimental because they're not putting themselves out there. Because even within their peer group, they're worried that you know, if they stand up and stand for something or say something yeah. that, that doesn't quite fit in with the group, yeah. that that they'll get judged for that. And and most people are just trying to be part, uh, due to insecurities, they're trying to be part of the group, not necessarily to be stepping out of it. So yeah. often, also many, in particular, also young people that just stand up for something, just mm. to belong to some. Yeah. group you know yeah not necessarily that it reflects to their character who mm -hmm. they are you know they're mm -hmm. just trying to copy others just yeah. to belong the, pro the problem is every That's everybody wants to fit in yeah um and, and it's only when in, in my case it's only when you get a little bit older and you start to realize that that's that's not the way that you necessarily succeed you have to be an anomaly to be an anomaly you have to behave like an anomaly uh, you have to do things differently to everybody else in order to get different results yeah. now when you're a kid you want to fit in because you want to be the same as everybody else. So it's a, it's, it's a very different dynamic. And, and I think the sooner that, that somebody can move from that, that space into a more mature mindset, the, the more successful they'll become. Uh, I really believe that the earlier in life that people are, are happy to be outliers, uh, they're happy to, to sort of stand, stand for something that's different and behave uh, in, in a different way that gets judged by other people and they all think they're crazy. Yeah. And then they look back 10 years later and they're like, oh, wow, that's, that's, how, that's how he did it. That's, that's why... We all thought that was really weird behavior, mm. but he knew what journey he was on. And now we're all like, oh, wow, look, you know, look, look what that guy's able to do now, yeah. whether that be financial success or uh, social impact or, or whatever it might be. Um, no, in order to succeed in, en in any space, certainly in sports, certainly in business, you have to be operating differently. Yeah. Plus, you have to be aware as well aware oh, yes. of how you react, you know, of course. because usually you react instantly in the moment, mm. but you're not aware how you react, you know, that you literally know yourself more. I think well I think there's two sides to it I think you can become um, so th the journey of, of becoming more accepting of yourself and um, the journey of moving from a space of wanting to fit in to uh, being happy to be something a little bit different and, and standing outside the group that process of going from A to B is inextricably linked with um, inextricably linked with uh, self-awareness you have to really deep dive internally and really understand where your strengths and where your weaknesses are. And you have to accept your weaknesses. And you have to accept what you're just not good at. You're just not built in that way. Your mind doesn't work in that way. And you have to be okay with that because everybody is good at some things yeah. and is very bad at other things. And one of the things I used in a talk the other day was talking about uh, um, 
Lionel Messi or Elon Musk, you know, incredible at what they do. Yeah. But I mean, if you start asking Lionel Messi about quantum physics, he's probably going to have no idea what you're talking about. Sure. And you put him in that room, he's going to seem like a pretty dumb guy. But you put him in a room, or sort of put, put him out on a pitch, he's one of the most majestic footballers you've ever watched play. Yeah. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, quite possibly the, the other way around. Um, so it, it's about understanding where your strengths are and really doubling down in that space. Mm. And being okay when someone brings up one of your weaknesses, that you're, that you're internally, you're emotionally mature enough to actually say, yeah, you know what? I'm not good at that. Yeah. And, and be okay with that because then nobody can hold it against and you. And accept it in the and end of the day. Exactly. So this concept of yeah. like when you're trying to fit in, it's because what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to hide all your weaknesses. Yeah. Um, so you're trying to hide your insecurities and like, oh, wow, I really hope they don't find out about that because they can use that against me, let's say your peer group or whatever it might be, um, something you might be embarrassed about. But then you get a bit older and you start to mature and you go, well, actually, everybody's got these things. Correct, yeah. And, and if you can accept that, yeah. Then you can really you can really move forward quickly. But also, what you just mentioned about being more mature when you are mm. older. You know, everyone mm. got these kind of weaknesses, mm. and you admit them yeah. on purpose, yeah. and you just laugh about them mm. as well. Hundred, this hundred is kind of being you know being accept you accept your weaknesses and just laugh about them. Yeah, I, look, I, I've being humble as well. I, I've, look, being humble comes with it's the same territory, and the reason it's the same yeah. territory is because when you accept that you're not good at things, you then become humble about them, and you're like, you know what? I'm self-confident and, and I know that I'm pretty good in these spaces, but I'm also now very self-aware to say that I'm really bad in A, B, C, and D, and yeah. E. Now, it's very hard to be super arrogant yeah. if you're actually self-aware because by definition, you're aware of what you're not good at and therefore that makes you a lot more humble. And then you're able to engage with other people in, in terms of the context of you're really good at this and I'm really bad at this. So let's work together to get somewhere. And that by, that by definition of, of that scenario, you're being humble with that other person because you're saying, you know what, you're much better than me at this. I might be, you know, I might have a few more skills in this space. And so together we can actually make something work here. And that's, that's kind of the, the, the process as you mature and move forward. And that's a key for entrepreneurs when I just mm. listen to that. That's a key mm. for like, you know, founders. Well, team building, right? Team building, yeah. end of the day. Not and just focusing on the idea itself. It's like literally building the team exactly. around the idea. And, and you will know, have heard even more than myself, but investors invest in teams and in people. They don't invest in ideas. I agree. Because you could be given the greatest idea in the world. But if you don't know how to build a team, you don't know how to build a business, and you're too arrogant, you don't have empathy, you don't know how to engage with others in a, in a, in a humble way to create a team that, that solves your weaknesses because mm. you're self-aware to know what your weaknesses are. If you're not that person, then it doesn't matter how good the idea is, it doesn't matter how, how much money they throw at you, it's not going to work. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, something like McDonald's, it's a burger chain. The, the, he, he took a, a, a single-store hamburger chain, and they yes, they had some great operational systems in there, and but... No, Ray Kroc was it? I think it was Ray Kroc. Uh, took took a, a single location, turned, yeah. turned it into this huge, huge um, organization. Not because it was just some great idea. It's because he knew how to build a team. He knew how to uh, systemize businesses and understood where his weaknesses are, and then hired against that as well. So, just as one example. Yeah, but also I think if I remember, he was also the person who worked prior mm. in restaurants. You know, as yes. dishwasher or some. You know, did yeah. I watched. I watched. Well, a, um, or something like this. Well, he was a. Tra he was actually a traveling salesman. Uh, yes, he was a traveling yeah. salesman, and uh, he was trying. To, I can't remember what product he was trying to sell, but he um, he was told to go down to this particular store, this yeah. McDonald's store, yeah. uh, which was one outlet, hamburger outlet, because yeah. the person that he was speaking to at the time said they've got they they're somehow creating some incredible system down there. You get served in like. 
12 minutes or something like that mm. and basically went in there and there was there was uh, two guys that were partners um i'm not sure if they were related but there were two guys who were partners and one of them basically had an engineer's mindset yeah so just looked at every single process in the business with an engineer's mindset and just fine-tuned everything yeah so by the end of it but after this process of a couple mm -hmm. of years or a few years that they'd been building this business, it was like everything moved in exactly where it needed to be. Every process yeah. was streamlined in such a certain way that that obviously then became a franchise model. So he ended up, uh, I think he worked for them. He took the franchise, he opened a few others. He then took over the whole business and then grew it into what it is today. But, uh, but yeah, just in, it's it, all about the process. It, it, it's probably about people. The so, the the, so going back to the original point, yeah. the, let's say the, the so-called mm -hmm. investors whoever they would have been yeah. would, have, would have been investing in that person yeah. not the product it, it's, yeah. a, it's, yeah. a, hamb it's yeah. a hamburger right um, so it's yeah it's interesting I could talk with you about this two three hours no, I, know, I know I know I want to go back let's, <laughs> let's get into it those are going to be here all day so uh, Tom um, as I told you before this is more or less kind of turning your life into chapters mm. very similar to like a book okay. and you know when you think about a book you think about about a library sometimes you know and when I would go to a library now and I would look for your book, for your mm. life book, in mm. which section would I find your book? Adventure. Adventure. Yeah. That was straight. Yeah. It, it would be adventure, but it adventure? would be... Adventure? Not entrepreneur? No. It would, adventure. Be, it would be adventure. Okay. Um, and I, I'll, I'll explain why. And, and it would be, although I don't really like the title of it, the, the book would be found adventure, but it would be within the self-help self -help space in, term, in, in terms of mind in terms of mindset and, and the reason that the context i put to that i i see i see what i do in the business space is very much an adventure um i see what i do in the physical space the ultra marathons the multi-stage racing and um, that's that's pure adventure uh, it's literally just going out with a backpack on and, and going get lost in the desert for five days not uh, knowing what to yeah, you don't expect. know what of course yeah. and, and and i don't think it's, yeah. it's it's constantly pushing outside your comfort zone and by definition by going outside of your comfort zone, you are going on an adventure because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But you believe in, you believe it, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in the team that you've built around you, if if that's the context of the situation, uh, and you have to believe that a combination of those things will get you to the end result that you want. So therefore, you're going to go outside of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. and you're willing to take on. Um, those risks you're willing yeah. to you're willing to look stupid uh, you're willing to fail uh, and all of that is an adventure and if you continually keep pushing yourself um, to go on these adventures uh, whether it be physical whether it be a relationship whether mm. it be starting a business whether it be building your career uh, whatever that adventure might be um, and everybody's adventure is different I think that that you'll succeed in life you will squeeze more out of life um, because you're continually pushing yourself and you're not staying in your comfort zone so for me it would be very much within the adventure section adventure section but you also mentioned about this is specific tool set is hmm. applicable for relationships for entrepreneurship yeah you know, in all kind of areas yeah like everything. a tool set you can yeah. use for any kind of purposes in life yeah look very much so and and um no i'd be i've been fortunate enough in the last few years to to engage with some very interesting people, yeah. um, read some very interesting books, uh, and really start to double down internally myself on understanding who I am, uh, where, where, I'm, where I'm good, where I'm weak, um, just becoming more and more self-aware and then trying to take that into the entrepreneurship space, take that into the physical space. Now, I'm very fortunate in a way that everything that I, I I've got a test bed. I have, I have this agency. You know, we've, 
we're, we're running at a thousand miles an hour. I have some incredible talent in the business. Mm. That, you know, there's 35 and, and growing, and it's it's a real test bed. So any concepts that I come up with, how to deal with uh, difficult situations, how should you deal with uh, certain interactions, how should you deal with power plays, how should you deal with the, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of running a business and firefighting 24-7, how, how do you sort of take your sort of what I'm learning in the mindset space over the last few years and wh what does it look like in, in actual practice? Yeah. Now, m many people will be reading books and yeah. they'll understand the concept, but if they don't have the scenario to the actually practice, practice yeah. then if obviously your learning is that much slower because yeah. you actually need to try all these things. I see so many times like athletes are perfect entrepreneurs or so many mm. athletes are actually entrepreneurs. Yeah. But the tools that you learn, you know, not getting exactly. up, having a routine. Let's say in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, mm. you're getting up mm. regardless of what's going to happen. Yep. You have a routine because you have the overall goal. 100%. I and mean, let's look at it like exactly that. Uh, top athletes are successful because of what? Because they have drive. They have self-discipline because they set goals, because they're relentless. Yeah. Now, because of those things, now you take all of those and you apply that to business. You need to have goals. You need to be relentless. You need to have self-discipline. You need to continually be pushing yourself. It's, it's very, very similar between an athlete and, and a business person yeah. in, in, the, in the space of entrepreneurship. So if you take all of those qualities and move them across, and you have the skills to back it up in terms of whatever your industry is, then to be honest, athletes can make some of the best, um, some of the best entrepreneurs, as, as you said, yeah. because often athletes have been doing that since a very young age. Yes. Certainly if you're particularly good, entrepreneurship generally starts at a later stage. Even if you're a very early founder, you're not going to be too much younger than 17, 18, 19. That would mm -hmm. probably be the earliest that you're actually doing anything significant. But prior to that, you can be doing sports from the age of six, four, you know, you know, some of the best tennis players in the world were playing tennis by the time they were like five, right? Sure. So uh, you look at some of, the, some of the stories and some of the books you read on some Olympic athletes and gold medalists, they were like proper training regimes from the age of like six or seven, especially yes. like the swimmers. Yeah. They got like two sessions a day and like crazy stuff. In, intense. I had like the, two months ago, I had Thomas Lutz. Uh, he's like sure. the three times Olympian. Okay. Swimmer from Germany. Mm -hmm. And... He retired two years ago, but he told me every day in the morning he swims three, four hours. Amazing. Every day in the morning. I'm like... Still now. He's still doing it that now. He's still now. A little bit reduced, two <laughs> to three hours now, but still, it's, you know, this routine, because yeah. it's not something you want to aim for. You know, you want to be yep. the best in the world. No, no, you're retired. No, you still love it. Yeah. It's not like an external goal you yeah. have. You have an internal So It's goal the process. Well. It's, it's, the process. it's the journey in the process, exactly, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's where the most success comes from because if it's all about the destination you're also putting um you're also putting a large portion of your happiness into s uh, somebody else's hands in a way because yeah. a co in competition on, on when it comes down to the day anything can happen it, it might not be working for you uh somebody else might be performing exceptionally mm. it might just be some some bad luck that happens yeah. now if if you're in love with the journey and that process and the day-to-day -day, then it's not about the end result. It's about the every single time you wake up. Like for myself, look, entrepreneurship and, and building this company takes up every waking moment in like in, in my head. I, like I, I work, everything works around it. What I eat, what I train, what what I do, what I yeah, read, everything yeah. is around it. So it's that process. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. If we build the agency into something that's that's bigger and you know, whatever that means at a later stage, then you know that's that's great. But it's not all about that. It's about coming into work every day, seeing the same faces and being like, cool, what yes. can we do today?
let's do something cool today. Let's work yeah. with some amazing clients. Let's make people happy. Let's improve the society that we work in. Let's do those things. And then if you keep doing those things and you love doing those things and you put the extra hour in, in the morning and you're waking up early and you know, you're crushing it before you come in at nine and you put the work in on the weekends because you just enjoy opening a laptop mm -hmm. and just doing more things. Yeah. And over time, and you keep on doing it, you keep on doing it, that's when you end up getting to that destination that you weren't necessarily chasing. But you can't get to that destination. There's just, from, just from experience, there is absolutely no way that me as a person certainly would be able to put those hours in the, the, that I do on the weekends and the evenings and the mornings and all the rest of it. I wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't love doing it at that moment. Not waking up at five going, you know what, mm. I'm going to do two or three hours on the laptop or, or read this mm. book or whatever it might be. I'm going to do it because I think it might help in three to five years or ten years or whatever when, when you end up trying to like... In the moment. It's, it's about, it's about what's moment. happening right yeah. there and right yeah. now and, and you enjoy that process. And Know, you do that day in, day out, and that, that's where you mm. find success. You, I don't know if you know that they said this interesting podcast called Finding Mastery, a conversation with Michael Chabon. I've He's, heard of that. He is having weekly podcasts, okay. but looking into the mastery of okay. the processes. And okay. He has a separate section as well, processes. And he talks a lot with athletes, swimmers. Yeah. Definitely a podcast for you. To I'll check it out. Thank you. Um, it's exactly what you're talking about, exactly mm. about this. So let's imagine I'm currently in the adventure section. Okay. Uh, got your book in your ha my hand and I let's say the title and the cover we talking about this later but let I open the book mm. and usually you see a thank you note you know ah, okay uh, prior the table of content who do you thank most so far in your life sure and I'm sure it's something that you hear from a lot of people but there's a reason why um, and for me it's very much my parents and my family um, for me I was fortunate growing up that no I grew up as an expat kid and we we've we lived in multiple different countries and I, I got I got the experience of growing up in different places and engaging with different cultures at a very young age. It I was pulled in when you live in as an uh, when you live as an expat you often get pulled in to uh, conversations that generally might just stay with the kind of the adults as it were when you're younger because you're often going off and spending time with other families but at, at a young age like a, say a very young teenage age you're sat around dinner tables with the parents and and their friends quite often which i don't necessarily if i have having spoken to friends um subsequent friends and, and, and how they grew up it was very much kids adults yeah. separate yeah. um but for me it was very very much integrated and that one that one that one sort of element of my childhood, of my youth, uh, mix that in with sort of the different cultures and the, and the countries that we lived in. Um, that, that's allowed me to have one, uh, one specific skill set that's really helped me in, in every area of my life. And it's, and it's the ability to find common ground with anybody. To have conversation with, mm -hmm. find co have conversation, relevant conversation with anybody and also not be nervous of being in, in any other situation. So, mm -hmm. for example, I put a bit of context to that. When I first started the business over here, I was very young. Yeah. Um, I was uh, what, 24, 23, 24. I'd moved to this country and I was, I was pitching general managers and, and CEOs and mm. for, the, for the business that I was doing at the time. And I didn't feel nervous going into any of those meetings, although that I was very fresh-faced, just arrived in the, in the country. Mm. You know, I was like 24 years old and I was you know, trying, to <laughs> trying to act like we, you know, we were some big company. Meanwhile, it was just me and my friend. Um, so th that that sort of that sort of skill set and that upbringing uh, uh, allowed me to 
to engage with many different people. And I mean, if you look at the the business now, we have countless nationalities across the, the 35 people. Everyone's got different backgrounds, different countries, different cultures. And because of that varied upbringing, I'm able to engage with, with, uh, with everybody. Isn't that also the adaptation? You adapt very easily when you live yeah. in different cultures. Yeah. You, you know, you mm. better, like, you not necessarily fit in, but you better listen. See, there's two, there's two uh, things. Yeah. And th there's a downside to it as well. I, because I moved around so much um, in my school years, I had a, a desire to want to fit in. And this is where yeah. it comes from. Because I was always arriving in schools and I was trying to fit into ex to yeah. existing friendship groups. Yeah. So I didn't have the, you know, the friends since we were four years old and then we all went to primary and then senior school. I didn't have any of that. So every time I arrived in a new place, in a new school, I had to try and fit in as quickly as possible. That was changing my accent. That was just trying to kind of conform and, and didn't want to stick out. Yeah. And that's, I think, where it came from in terms of this wanting to kind of fit in with people. Mm -hmm. And it was only later on in sort of through into university and then and then since then and, and certainly a, a lot in the last sort of five or six years where I've realized that I need to do the exact opposite. And I don't have that issue anymore. But I, that I, when I look back, I see where that came from. Yeah. Every time I went to school, I was like petrified. I was like, oh, yeah. God, I need to fit in. Who That's are my it. friends going to be? Like, okay, those guys. I'm going to make friends with those guys <laughs> and just try to be like them for, for the first year. So I just kind of fitted into groups. Um, so there's positives and negatives. Cool. So, you know, usually after the thank you note, you see the table of content in mm. the book. Um, and plenty of books have plenty of chapters and uh, a long table of content. When I see your f the first chapter in your life book, what is it about? I'd say the first chapter for me is... First page, first, yeah. First chapter, I mean, me if you take it sort of, sort of way back and kind of where, where the mindset started and, and where things started for me was actually living down in, down in Oman. Um, so I lived, I lived in UK for a while. We lived in Saudi for a little bit, and then at a young age, I moved fr uh, from UK. So Saudi for a couple of years, back to UK, and then I moved to, uh, to to Muscat. I was in Muscat for about 12 years. The latter few years of that, I was actually back in boarding school in UK. So that would be kind of like the first chapter, second chapter type conversation, yeah. I think. So, so I'd say the Middle East. Um, the first, first time into the Middle East. Middle that, East. That, that would be it. So Saudi plus, uh, plus Oman. So around about sort of 12, 13, 14 years, something like that. Um, again, that was where I had a very fortunate upbringing that it was a very outdoors lifestyle. We were always going camping. My parents were into exploring and you know sometimes we just chuck things in the back of the truck and and off we'd go into the mountains and yeah. go and find some cool things to, to see and yeah. I remember that was back in the 80s in Muscat so yeah. sometimes we were going to villages that were five six seven hours away from yeah. what we would term civilization that just didn't yeah. have many people coming to visit even in the 80s Dubai didn't exist uh, yeah, yeah I mean barely not, not at all and, and you know just down the road in Muscat it's still quite a sleepy place now I absolutely yeah. love it but you know, back in the 80s, it was it was even more sleepy. So yeah. there was, um, we, you know, we, it was a real adventure that, yeah. that we were on as kids. Uh, although we don't we didn't realize it, that was just life at the yeah. time. Um, going to some expat school and and you know, sort of going exploring on the weekends. So that would definitely be uh, formative uh, for me in terms of in terms of growing up. Yeah, uh, you grew up with siblings. Yes, I've got two sisters. Two sisters. Yeah, two sisters. So how do they remember you? And you say, okay, chapter one is around you. You know, growing up partly in UK, Oman, etc. Mm -hmm. How do they remember you? Were you were like the person who were like, you know, adventurous, like camping, going out always? Are you more yeah. like 
introverted thing in you kind of no I was always looking I was always looking for adventure then yeah. um, no, my, my, myself and my two sisters have a very close relationship uh, we're very close as a family and, and they were in the same school as me for certain periods and then they weren't for, for latter periods um, so yeah we were always just you know, playing on the beach together and just going exploring and climbing up the, the rocks to see what we could find so yeah. it was um, so yeah I think they would they would certainly well think of those times fondly and, and the fact that we were always trying to explore something find something so um, so you mentioned about the climbing up the rocks hmm. is it is it something like where you wanted to know your personal limits even I as a young yeah you know, I t to be honest not, not not at that time I wasn't trying to push myself to uh, to limits at that time I was just I think I was just a young kid and I was just looking to explore and have adventure and sometimes yeah. there was a thrill if it was a little bit dangerous yeah. so I, I enjoyed driving that angle uh, I suppose that, that might have been the, the, the bedrock of what it's become now in terms of the ultramarathons and this sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, I'd say it was certainly formative at the, t of the time. Yeah, and you were a lot in sport, I assume, right? Yeah, like yeah, so playing, yeah, just playing all sorts. Yeah, yeah, so okay. kicking a ball around, whether that be a rugby ball or a football. Yeah. Uh, played a lot of rugby in, in my youth as well. Okay. Um, so played for the, the club down in Muscat and then, uh, and then back in boarding school I was playing a what lot. What position did you play? I played scrum, scrum half. Okay. Uh, scrum half and then also wing and sometimes full back as well. So, nice. okay. um, yeah. So chapter one, when you said this is about youth, you know, it's like the mm. growing up. Till what age? Um, is uh, that chapter? So I'd say up till the oh. age of about um, eleven. So at age eleven, I moved, I went back to boarding school, okay. um, and I was back in school, uh, board, two boarding schools back in UK, and my family still lived in Oman. Now but prior you were in UK as well, right? So prior, prior I was in UK, was yeah. yeah. So how was for you this change between Middle East and... Uh well, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that. It was the fact that I was no longer with my family. So mm. my mum and dad and sisters were in Muscat and I was back in UK. So I was in boarding school. However, um, my, my grandparents lived quite close by. So on the weekends and stuff, I'd, I'd always stay with them. But um, for the school, I was in boarding school. And that was... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was formative, and I'm very glad that happened because it put me on a, more of a, an independent path. Because you've got to remember, that was pre, basically pre-internet. Uh, there was no, no WhatsApp then, yeah. there was no emails, there was yes, no nothing. Yes, so yes, I, yes. Used to, I, used to phone, I used to phone my parents once a week. I used mm -hmm. to have a little bag of pound coins. Okay. I'd sit and be putting these pound coins into the phone. In the red, and I, red box. Yeah, uh, and I, box exactly. <coughs> and I'd phone, I'd phone back to Muscat once a week and have a chat with everybody. Yeah. How that was, was living? It. How was living in the UK at that <coughs> time for you? In um, the 90s? To be honest, it was it was all in it was all in boarding schools, and I no, I, I did enjoy that. There was anyone that's been in that space. It's 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 pretty difficult sometimes mm. uh, because you know sometimes it's yeah sometimes it can be it can be tough because you you know you you're a pretty young kid and you're forming um, yeah. forming sort of your mindset and and who you are as a person, your identity, and you're very far from your family. So yeah. um, that can be quite difficult. However. It's also great fun because you're there with all your mates and you're just getting up to dumb stuff and yeah, far away from the parents. Exactly, far away from parents <laughs> and just kind of pushing pushing boundaries as much as you can without getting into too much trouble. Uh, so so yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed it as well. So it was like I said, very formative because you have to look after yourself. You know, especially back then when there's no WhatsApp, no internet, no nothing. Like okay. if something happens, you've got to deal with it yourself, yes. even if you are sort of let's say 14 years old or 15 years old. Um, so it was it was it was good. Right, we just mentioned about it. You know, that was the time there was no internet. Mm. Hard to imagine for a younger Crazy. generation today, you know. Especially like working in tech. It's great now. to live. Like it's li yeah, exactly. It's great to live like in this transition from yeah. a non-tech environment to a 
crazy. Detroit. So there's no mobile phone. We didn't. Nobody had mobile yeah. phones or anything yeah. like that. So it was. I still remember the little uh, the little room I used to sit in in the boarding house to put these pound coins into the thing and dial this number that was seemed to be about 25 numbers long because I was yeah. dialing all the way to to Oman from from UK. And Which is expensive as well. Yeah. At that time hence was, hence yeah. the pound coins. Wow. Um, you mentioned age <coughs> 11, and that was like also precision when you said mm. you went to the boarding. Exactly that. So um, I was still coming back out to Muscat uh, sort of four times a year at least. So I was still I was still seeing the family every few months. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't quite as drastic as it sounds. But um, but yeah. So then later later a little bit later on than that, uh, my family actually moved back to UK, and then I just finished the rest of my schooling as a as a, as a normal day pupil. So till age 11, how would you summarize that chapter? So if you would give that chapter title, you know, from Oman to UK and Muscat and so on, living in different areas being adventurous how would you summarize that chapter how would you when i only see the table of content i only see that mm. headline okay how would you summarize it how do you summarize it in um, a word in a few it's a good words. question i think it would be uh, formative adventure uh, and the reason being is because of all the camping and all of the uh, the down at the beach and just the things that we were doing that was normal life in in muscat back then um it was yeah. I mean, I think that's where the adventure started. We were always exploring new things. So back in young age. yeah, back in <laughs> U, back in UK, that uh, that you know that didn't. It, it it happened, but I was more focused on rugby and spending time with my friends and all the normal stuff that you do in yeah. school in in UK. Yeah. Uh, less so to be wasn't doing so much going out camping and exploring places and yeah. going off with my parents. I just wasn't really doing that. So, yeah. for me, that that kind of exploring and and doing cool things like that was was definitely down in down in Muscat. So, age 11, hmm. teenage age. Yeah. How was that time for you? Um, that was probably one of the more, more sort of difficult periods, I think. Like I said, the, my, my mindset, because I was bouncing around as a, as a young kid um, to many different uh, schools and countries, and that was, um, to be perfectly honest with you, that was probably more of a um, sort of a transition period where it was, a, it was just a little bit more difficult because I was just trying to fit in everywhere I went um, for those first few years. And then, uh, and then I moved to uh, school to finish my A levels, which was in Wales, and that was uh, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and that was, yeah, that, I was a, I was actually a day pupil by then, so my parents had moved back, and I really enjoyed the the years I was in uh, just outside Cardiff in uh, in Cowbridge School. Yeah. That was great. Um, but yeah, so there was different processes that happened over those few years, and you look back on it and you you just kind of laugh now, right? But um, my head my head was very different. I was very I was much more concerned about other people's opinions of of, of me and. Yeah. and Fortunately, I've moved, moved on from that. You talked about Wales. What is, you know, I assume you covered pretty much all UK, you know, with mm. traveling around. Yeah. What are these few memories you have, you know, from the teenage age? We say, this is typical Tom. You know, this is a typical, like, you know, it was an embarrassing moment or was it like yeah. a success or this is a typical me. Uh, for me and I, I was around early teenage age. Um, look, I, I mean, I got uh, sort of, I'd say from the 12, 13 up to, up to like, sort of the 18 mark. Um, Mm-hmm. I was very much into like very much into sport, very much into rugby, uh, so I was very much part of that crowd. So just just playing rugby a lot and, and just enjoying enjoying being a, being a teenager and growing up and working out what was going to happen next. Went on a couple of great trips, uh, surfing around the world and, and and that sort of thing, which was pretty pretty fun. Um, but yeah, but for me it was a, it was a big transition phase. And, and like I said, if there's anything that I, w- I would urge anybody that's listening to think about if they are a little bit younger, is to just to try and think as soon as you can, to try just try and train your mind to think in a different way and start to understand that you know, where you are, where you're going to be in, let's say, by the time you're 30, by the time you're 40 and onwards, 
you're on your own path and the people that, that, that are surrounding you right now are not uh, most likely are not going to be those same people later on in life um, if they are then great then then they're, then they're real friends and, you, and you've built a strong friendship that won't get damaged through judgment and those people will support you the people that don't support you and that laugh and point and, and the ones that you feel most uncomfortable about just don't matter those people just don't matter and the, f the sooner you can move your mindset away from thinking that those people do matter um, the sooner that you're going to start to find success and, and it's not just success from let's say a more traditional point of view but success in terms of internally just being happy not stressing about things that don't matter and uh, not, not, not perceiving a real issue um, sorry not, not, not finding a perceived issue as a real issue uh, and being able to differentiate between the two I think finding inner peace or inner happiness is yeah. more and more difficult nowadays as well. When you get literally with media mm. influenced yes. on a daily basis. And, and I think some people that, have th that haven't sort of built a framework uh, internally and, and, and mentally to how they engage in that space, it's, it is difficult because they've been bombarded by images of perfect lives and perfect people through the likes of Instagram. So although you know, I think Instagram's... Uh, an incredible tool I know I, uh, yeah. Facebook as well I mean we've you know, it's a large part of our business with, with clients as well and, and I see the benefits and all the good things that it does but as with anything it's not about the tool it's about the people yeah. and I do understand that people are, um, are being negatively affected in certain mm. spaces certain times we've seen quite recently new campaigns about uh, post wisely um, about um, um, time well spent which is the 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 sort of conversation around Facebook and Instagram, just making sure that cool, engage with it, mm. but don't just sit there all day long scrolling up and seeing what mm. everything perfect looks like because then you start judging your own life and you mm. start thinking, well, you know what? My life's pretty crappy because I'm looking at these guys now on yeah. this amazing holiday and they've yeah. been on holiday for like four months and they must be perfect and they must have yeah. loads of money and they must never argue. And then you're looking at your own life and you're like, wow, I'm going to work again. But you don't see the reality, you know? You don't see the reality. I saw a very interesting post though that they... Like it really made me thought like you know on LinkedIn mm. everyone is professional everyone yeah. has an amazing yeah. shopping career on Instagram everyone has an amazing adventure you know beautiful Perfect pictures life, on yeah. Facebook you share amazing memories with friends yeah. on Twitter everyone complains yeah. and like every channel has a specific it's you know true. output it's a, psycholo it's a psychology of, the of platform usage yeah. and that's exactly how um, when we're advising brands about yeah. how to engage don't take the same piece of content <coughs> excuse me don't take the same piece of content and just mm -hmm. put it across all the channels. Because even if it's the same person, yeah. the mindset that they're engaged in when they're on LinkedIn is very different to their mindset when they're on Instagram. And you need to speak to both of those uh, personalities, let's say, even though it's the same person. So yeah. you need to understand that as a brand that when you're trying to communicate with different people, yeah. that each platform has its own personality. Yeah. So you, Tom, as a person, which platforms do you... Uh, most of Instagram Love for me. Uh, I, I, Instagram. I, yeah, no, I really enjoy Instagram. I think yeah. Facebook, Facebook's great and it's got its um, got its place as well. Instagram is is where the attention is at the moment. Yeah. Um, Twitter I don't use so much, but it's um, sometimes more of a sort of a customer service channel. Sometimes if I'm engaging with a specific person I want to speak to, then mm -hmm. then Twitter's often one of the best ways to do that. Um, but Instagram very much so for, for, for yeah. me. We're we're creating more and more content specifically for Instagram now. Uh, we're shooting a lot of content for IGTV, for example. Um, we do Instagram and Facebook live every every week from the agency, so we're doubling down in that space. Nice. So going back to the teenage age, till mm. 18, you said, uh, no, mm. actually teenage age, still 18 is your kind of chapter. You mentioned about, you know, you had this inner happiness, or you try to focus on that part as well, that you've had this feeling, okay, 
I live in the moment, you mm. know, adventure, traveling. Chapter two about teenage age, you know, went to school and were mm. there specific subjects you couldn't, you know, stand out? Or, or like you say, okay, I love sport, I love specific, mm. or, or you say, okay, I c I'm not like into specific subjects? Sure, well, look, uh, uh, sport was a, was a major part of my life growing up. And to be honest, it was one of the one things that, that really helped me with the transition from country to country and school to school because I was able to go and join whatever the sports team might be. So go and find the rugby club, for example. Yeah. Um, so I then automatically, as soon as you start playing rugby, you, you form a very close group of friends very, very quickly. So that was my kind of hack in terms of, right, I'm going to a new school. Yeah. How do you engage with people super quick? How do you build a friendship group? Yeah. Um, how does that work? You, got, you had to start always from scratch, literally. Yeah, you know, a few, yeah exactly. The technique yeah. you learned, that literally how you actually immediately exactly so cool. so w so w it's about again going back to how do you find common ground with people yeah. and this and, and how do you build relationships well and quickly and that's one of the strongest um, skill sets that I've got now I'd say that's really sort of helped the success of of the agency here is that um, is the is the relationships that we've built and it's something that I've instilled in the team as well mm -hmm. and it's something that we discuss as a team uh, it's a reason why we as a small agency with no brand name over the door able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with with some of the biggest agencies in the country um or so let's say some of the biggest agencies in the world not the country i mean we're you know we're 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 quite high up that uh, that sort of that list in terms of digital agencies in the country for sure but when we're going up against let's say an ogilvy or a leo burnett or some of the big global agencies the reason we end up still doing quite well is because we've built great relationships with people um we end up getting recommended to other clients so because of those relationships that we've that we've built and we really double down on and 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 how we do that is by you know we always go the extra mile uh we we focus on that as an agency that we don't charge people for stupid things we do, we're, we're always focused on the long-term thinking we're always focused on we want this client to stay with us for a long period of time mm -hmm. so therefore you know what sometimes we'll let things slide sometimes we'll do um over and above extra work sometimes we'll come in on the weekend because something doesn't look right even if the clients approves it we're going to make this better and then we're going to submit a new one on Sunday morning and they're going to be even happier. And we'll do those sort of things time and time and time again. And that's allowed us to really um, have an impact in this space here, uh, far, an impact far above our size and, mm -hmm. and, and brand um, because we have those relationships. And that culture, and I, and I put a video out, this, um, out about this recently, culture is, is something that sits within everybody in the team. It's not something that's just dictated over the, over the top of everybody. It's something that is instilled in everybody it's something that's discussed it's something that um really allows a group of people to come together and focus uh, on on a, on a single goal on a specific um specific area and and ours is very much the relationships that we build making sure that we're always making decisions and, and we literally have these these mouse pads with uh, with how we make decisions in the agency and, mm -hmm. it, and it says we you know we focus on the client we mm -hmm. focus on the relationship but way before we start focusing on financials and because of that time and time and time again yeah. that like we, we disregard profit margin often uh, mm -hmm. when we're making decisions because we actually want to build relationships with the clients before because that will come afterwards if you built up a, a solid client base that really enjoy working with you then mm -hmm. the, you you will get to that destination of making whatever profit you want or x y and z but the way to do that is not to be focusing on that in the short term um you build so trust in the end of the day. That's exactly, that's what it is. If you have trust, money will follow automatically. A hundred percent. And so I can't tell you the amount of times that someone's come to us and, and it's a big client and they're going to put some big money behind it and they said, we need an app for A, B or C. Yeah. And we'll say, we're not building it for you. 
because it won't succeed. You don't need an app. You need this, this, or this. Mm. Um, so we'll leave that money on the table. We won't, we won't take it. We won't build it because we know that if we took it three months, six months down the line, when it doesn't work, and they seem to, they're just replicating what's on their website, for example, then mm -hmm. there's no clear mandate for what that needs to do. Uh, they'll look at us and be like, but you guys should have told us this wasn't gonna work in the first place, and then what are we gonna sit there when we've, got, we've been paid, and it's just, it's not, it's not how to do business in the yeah. long run, so. Um, so going back to the culture conversation, it's that sort of the, the concept of culture living within everybody, I do, th I do still believe it needs to come from the top. You're never gonna have a culture within a team of people if the person that's leading that team of people does, is not part of that culture. Mm -hmm. So it, it is mm -hmm. dictated, so hard work, relationships, yeah. all of these sort of things that, that, that I drive myself to do has now become part of the culture within the company. Because you're a role model. Technically, people sometimes listen to role models. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I, also I, when you don't live yeah. as a role model, you cannot teach that. It's about. Uh, it's certainly about actions and not and not words. Yeah. And although uh, the, the you know the term role model doesn't doesn't sit so well with me within the yeah. within the agency because I I do feel that we're a very flat structure yeah. and that I wouldn't be where I am now without the team that I that I mm -hmm. have and we work very much together. It's not dictating. It's not yeah. me saying this. We we have to do A, B, and C. It's almost every decision in the, in the business is always made um, as a, as a group. Mm -hmm. But to your point, they wouldn't be putting in the extra work. They wouldn't be. Um, focusing on the relationships. They wouldn't be making decisions that are more in line with the client than they mm -hmm. are with the finances of the business. They wouldn't be doing that if I wasn't doing that. Yeah. Because as you said, you know, they, they, they look to see, okay, how do we operate as a business? That's got to be thought through and that's got to be um, dictated in a way that then sits within everybody. And, and then collectively we're like, as long as it's the right thing to do, yeah. everybody will engage with that. If it's, it's, long, the, yeah, exactly. if it's the wrong thing to do, and, and we've just hired somebody recently and, and the reason that they, we said, look, you're, you're really smart. Like, why, why, um, why are you leaving where you are? You seem to be in a great position. Mm. You're super switched on. This guy's got like multiple engineering degrees and MBAs and all sorts of crazy stuff. And, and he says to me, um, he said, I'm working on a project and I don't believe in the ethics of the project because it's basically a malware piece of software. So I've worked on it for a time. I've told my, my, uh, my management, I don't want to work on this anymore. And they're still making me work on it. So I'm leaving because of because of ethics. So that's a prime example of the wrong culture being instilled from the top because the top's obviously thought, these guys at the top, they're like, oh, we can make some money if we do A, B, and yes, C. Yes, yes. But now the team are not engaging with that because the team can see what the management are doing and they don't believe in the values of the company. Now they're now that the issue they have is they've got smart people like this guy and now going to walk out of their company. The smart people are mo moving away. Of course they the will. management is not listening. Of course they will. Yeah. And that's what we see time and again in, in sort of management culture. Yeah. Even within Dubai, again, I'm not going to name names, but there are certain companies that the way that they operate mm -hmm. is purely financial. It's run from a spreadsheet and they don't care about people. There's no empathy within their business. Now, we're the exact opposite. And you can see that in terms of client retention in terms of staff retention in terms of the vibes the vibes in the office in comparison to when i go out for a beer with my friends and they work in a b c and d company and all they do is complain because they're like my manager you know, mm. doesn't care about me mm. the, you know, the, the 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 team structure has changed to a b and c and yeah. they've got rid of half of our resources just because they can squeeze more margin out of it it's just being run wrong <coughs> going to the chapter two mm. like quickly um 18 till 18. Mm. Let's leave that teenage age Kay. behind us. But before, how would you summarize that? So from 18 and 18 and younger? 11, no, from yeah, from 11 to 18, that chapter. 
before you had formative adventure? Uh, I'd say it was an, that was formative adventure. How would you summarize this teenage age? Interesting. So that, that's, <laughs> that sort of teenage age would be... It's hard, right? To summarize? It is. It's hard. because the, in few words. It is because it's, especially that, that time period in life, um, people change so much. They have so many different experiences. And for, my, for myself, it went from living with family in a different country and it went through to grandparents playing a big role in my life to then going to multiple different schools uh, and then finishing my, my A-levels and then leaving that country and moving to South Africa. So it was such a mix over that 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 period I think I'd say that it was it was mixed there was a lot of there was a lot of good things and there was a lot there was a lot of good things that happened there and there was a few difficult things that happened there could be quite um, mixed as well it could be mixed I know but that's not a, it's, it's not that's not, not that's an interesting <laughs> exactly yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna check we're gonna change that it won't, it won't be called mixed um but I think it's uh, I think we'll say that it was it was overcoming certain adversities now, the reason without sort of going into too much detail and boring your listeners, it would be um, some sort of internal family adversities that we had during the, that, that period of time. Um, it, would be, it would be for me personally trying to find my feet in, in, in life with regards to different countries living in different spaces and, and what, I, what I took away and learned from that. So it was a, a time when I was much more insecure. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't self-aware at all. I didn't understand that everybody has weaknesses and once you accept those weaknesses, you can actually move forward. I didn't know any of these things then. I thought you had to try and be the best at everything. I thought that um, accepting a weakness was being just weak, that mm -hmm. you were lazy because you're not focusing on fixing it. Yeah. I still had the mindset of focus on your weaknesses, focus on your weaknesses, focus on your weaknesses and try and fix them. And then you can kind of get to a level where yeah. where everything is is okay, and yeah. hide your weak hide your weaknesses, yeah. and that's where insecurities come from because you're yeah. insecure that someone's going to find out. There's an interesting book called Strengths <coughs> Finder 2.0. I don't know if okay. you have heard about I it. I haven't heard that one. No. It focuses on identifying your strengths and improving mm. them instead of looking into your weaknesses and exactly turning that. them into your strengths. Go, well, going back to Lionel Messi and Elon Musk, Very right? Similar, yeah. It's the same thing. Like yeah. Messi was like, "Okay, I'm crap at maths, but I'm really good at football, so I'm going to do yeah, football." Exactly. <laughs> so. So, so I, I keep hammering Messi and his maths. Maybe he's pretty <laughs> good. I don't know. Um, but let's say that he's not. Yeah. Uh, but th so that's my point. So at the time, I didn't. I hadn't been educated in this way. My parents yeah. didn't instill this in me. Um, they didn't know that themselves either. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't got into this uh, headspace of trying to seek out these people and try and learn from books. So at that time, it was detrimental. To, I was had a I had a really negative. Um, a really negative internal monologue, I'd say. Mm -hmm. The conversation I was having, mon not monologue, dialogue, uh, the conversation I was having with myself was constantly around insecurities and weaknesses and fears. That's changed completely, and now I see the power of talking to yourself in the right way, of loving yourself, of accepting weaknesses and moving forward ag against those strengths. So it was a, it w when I say mixed, and when, it's a, when it was difficult mm -hmm. coming, overcoming adversity, I didn't have the tools that I have now to deal with everything that I had then. So if there's anything that I, that I could, as, as I said, to kind of urge the, the younger generation is to try and upskill yourself in the mental space um, and, and build that mental strength because everything that you go through is so difficult when you're 13, 14, 15, 16, that sort of age group. There's so many social dynamics happening. There's exams that you're going through. There's pressures that you think are the end of the world, but actually they don't mean shit later down the line. Yeah. Going through like different age group qualifications and stuff like that. It's so much of these things just don't matter. Um, 
I gave a tour graduation speech last year at one of the colleges here, um, one of the schools. Yeah. And the conversation I had with both the students and the parents there was around the fact that they're so focused on grades in these certain subjects and going down these certain tracks, but by the time they come out of university, and by the time they're certainly 10 years out of university, the majority of those jobs won't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And, yeah. and, I, and I, I spoke for the first half of the talk to the kids, and then at the s I spoke to the second half of the talk to the parents. I said, you're the most influential people in these kids' lives. So you have to give them the tools that they will then need. That I, that I love my parents to bits, but I wasn't given those tools to deal with the situations that I had um, as I was going through, uh, let's say, the multiple schools and, mm. and how to talk to yourself and, and, and this side of things. Um, both myself and my parents have now, you know, we, we've all upskilled ourselves in this space. So I have great conversations with my family around this, and we're all in that space now, but to be perfectly honest none of us were in that space then so I wasn't get, I wasn't being educated in that space so talking to these parents in the school and I said to them that uh, you know as I said they're the most influential people in in these kids lives yet many of them unfortunately are trying to push them down a path that either they wish that they'd gone down or they're trying to push them down a path that will make them proud and help to them in their social circle my kids mm. a doctor my mm. kids an engineer they don't want to be in their social circle saying, let's say my kid's an artist or my kid's in, in drama and is a struggling yeah. actor, let's say, which are both are great professions and you can be very, very successful in those spaces. But in the more traditional mindset, they want their kid to be the doctor and the engineer. And, and there's a lot of social pressure mm -hmm. to drive these kids into certain spaces. Yet a lawyer, for example, if you actually think about what a lawyer does, and I'm not talking, I'm not talking specialist lawyer, let's say a, a general mm -hmm. lawyer. And I caveat this, I've got quite a few friends in this space. A lawyer's job or a lawyer, uh, the lawyer's role when they go through law school is to absorb an incredible amount of information, to be able to know laws, to be able to understand and remember precedent, and to be able to use all of that, let's say, in, um, in, in a way, or in, let's say, whilst they're engaging, let's say, looking after a client or advising. or What I'm trying to get at is that there's it's, it's, it's taking a large body of knowledge to put it into a human head mm -hmm. so that human head can then advise A, B, C, or D about which direction they need to move. Yes. Now, if there is <laughs> no system is set up more perfectly for a computer to do that yes. than this. So the vast majority of lawyers yeah. will not be needed yeah. because you start talking about IBM Watson mm. and, and, and some of the supercomputers and that are that are growing day by day, week by week, and more and more moving into this space. Yeah. So much of so much of that context that I just mentioned in that terms of that system yeah. will be managed by computers, Correct, yeah. and then there will be specialists that take the information from the computer and then can interpret it in their specialization. It's technically like database. Literally it's, you're it's building a database. a database and then you just, you know, but getting data sets out of it. But at the moment, it. go and yeah. speak to any lawyer what they did in law school. Mm. And they read book after book after book after book of all the laws, all the cases, all the precedents, yeah. all of this. It's crazy. Like that, like why, why would you need that? Yeah. So especially in this day and age of technology. So the thing that's just one example. I mean, doctors, mm. is, doctors is another one. I think, look, Dr. Google is a problem, but there are... There yeah. are, there, there are and you see that so many times as doctors, like Google actually... Exactly. What best treatment okay, should be? Uh, like a dermatologist, for example. Mm. So I was having a conversation with um, uh, with someone that was, they, were tra they were training to be dermatologists. They moved into another space. Of, uh, regardless, 
you're going to see a dermatologist and you've let's say got a mole or you've got a uh, some sort of a marker and you want to get that checked out so you go in and you're speaking to a doctor yeah. and a doctor is going to look at that he's going to give his interpretation of saying mm -hmm. you know it's it's safe or you know you need to get that cut out or yeah. we need to do whatever that might be whatever the context of that conversation is now the amount of human error that is the, the amount of space for human error in in that process is, is huge and again what is the doctor doing? The doctor's looking at that and, and he's looking at, he's trying to remember every single image, every single uh, lesson he was in, every single patient's come to him mm. and, and what, what those symptoms ended up looking like and he tries to make his diagnosis. Yeah. But again, why don't you just scan that and put it into a computer and match it against 10 million similar marks or, or uh, let's say or, or yeah. blemishes on yeah. your skin yeah. and the, yeah. Compu yeah. the computer can, can predict what exactly what it is to a yeah. much 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 higher accuracy point than the doctor can sure. so again there'll be so many of these uh, of generalists yeah. in, in all of these professions that are not that are not going to have jobs mm -hmm. uh, later down the line so and they can be complemented i mean the technology yeah. should complement them it should complement them but uh, but yeah. the, the, the there will obviously always be a space in the um uh, for humans in this process but what i'm saying is there will be specialists because the generalization can be done by a computer Correct. and that interpretation at a, at a higher level in a certain space mm -hmm. can then be uh, from from a doctor. But that then says, okay, well, what, what are we saying? 60% of doctors are not going to be needed because you only need 40% of specialists. Okay, mm -hmm. there'll be other roles to play. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's yeah, building yeah. these systems. It's, so it's doctors moving into software. It's th There'll be other jobs created. I'm just saying as it stands That's today, true. this w it, it won't necessarily be the way that you think it is. Preparing for the future, literally, you exactly. don't because you don't know what's going to happen in five to ten years. Exactly. So what I was saying, so going back, what I was saying to these parents is equip them with the mindset and the yeah. internal dialogue to be able to assess a situation, assess problems, uh, make decisions that are following their own internal compass. Yeah. Don't tell them they have to be an engineer or they have to be A, B, yeah. C, and D when you don't even know if this job's going to mm -hmm. exist in twenty years. Yes. What you should be telling them is follow your passions. And not this isn't some whimsical concept. Follow your passion, double down on your strengths, find out what really drives you, and move into that space because you can always find whatever it might be. You can always find success if you're good and you're fully engaged in whatever mm -hmm. uh, industry and whatever space you end up going into. Yeah. And this is where the where a lot of parents are still getting it wrong because they haven't been, they have they don't have that, that internal dialogue. Mm -hmm. So how are they able to educate their kids this way? They're just doing what they were taught. So we have to break that cycle. Yeah. So it's up to parents to become more educated yeah. so that they can educate their kids about you know, like things like this sort of this, this mental framework for decision making. That follow your passion is actually a key, key aspect, even if it's young entrepreneurs as well. You know, we Very try so. to do a work according to work in Shira. The very first thing we try to do is to understand what's your passion. Yeah. We do a lot of soft skill training before sure. we even work on the idea. Yeah. Forget the idea. The idea comes later. What's your passion? Yeah. And so many times young people are driven by the push or the you know urge from the society. You need to come up with a new Facebook app. You yeah. need to come up with an app just mm. for the sake of having an app. Or they're chasing money. Or they think there's money in something. Exactly. So they're going into it. It's like, mate, Money doesn't grow on trees. It's going to be a hell of a lot of hard work, Correct. no matter what you go into. If you're going to be particularly successful, exactly. the there's, there's no easy ride. And then, when often when we you know work with them and then say, okay, you need X, Y, Z for the money, hmm. and let's assume you don't get any money, hmm. and most of the case we don't provide money. Oh my God, this aha moment! Oh my God, I did know. I thought I will get a lot of support. Hmm. 
Mm. Oh my God, I have to do it all by myself now. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so hard. And I, do, but this I, and is I a don't even enjoy doing it. And I don't and I'm enjoy not doing even training. It. Exactly. exactly. Oh, I thought I, someone else will programming it. And uh, you know, all these questions. Yeah. But this is itself a learning process. Very it much ha- so. They have to go for this. Yeah. They have to go for this to really understand what is the process. Mm. Because in the end of the day, we're not just trying to aim building entrepreneurs, we're trying to build sustainable businesses. And sustainable business means the team is sustainable. Yep. And they know what they're doing and they know how to react in setbacks, in failures. And a setback or a failure is not necessarily a failure, it's a learning curve. Mm. And seeing it in a positive mindset. Mm. But also accepting, yes, we did something wrong. What can we do now yeah. to improve it? You know, <laughs> accepting it. So that's what you mentioned about following your passion is so important. It's Especially so for young people as well. Look, there's, not, there's nothing more... There's no journey that's more of a roller coaster than entrepreneurship. There's yeah. highs, there's lows, and they're super high, and then they're super low. And if you don't have that, uh, that internal drive that, that, you're, that you get from chasing your passion, if you don't have that, it's very, very difficult to navigate that space. Um, if you don't have the, the mental strength to deal with stress, the mental strength to deal with failure, and realize that you can come back from that, and that it's actually all part of the process, and it is part of the journey. If you don't understand that, then you'll crash and burn in entrepreneurship. It's it's brutal. Mm-hmm. And as it gets bigger, now all of a sudden you've got a staff. Now you've got staff, you've got people. You have now responsibility. Now you've got all these families that depend mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. you. You're playing a major role in many people's lives. If you've got 10 people that work for you, that's 50 people, 60 people, 70 people, I don't know, that you have a major impact on. Because if that person loses their job because of you, because like you did something wrong, and therefore the company had to let people go, yeah. then that's, that's a responsibility that gets me out of bed every single day. Now, if you can't deal with the stress that comes along with that as it gets bigger and bigger, then you're going to have a terrible time in entrepreneurship. True. So I want to know what's going to happen in the adulthood okay. of Tom. Okay. <laughs> 18 plus. Yeah. So 18 plus, the time we're... What, are we, what age are we going up to? 18 plus now. 18, 18 plus. The rest of it. You decide. Up to, up to today. 18 to, what do you say, this is the turning point. Okay, so I'm that next chapter goes to till whatever it is. Okay, let's, uh, let's put some dates to this. I'm going to put 18 to, where are we now? I'm 36, so we're going to put 18 to 28. What happened at? 27. 27. Yeah. Roughly around 10 years. Less yes. than 10 years. Yes, so what exactly. happened in this time? Um, so 18 to 27, I... I finished university, I had the best time of my life in South Africa. I was very fortunate to go to Stellenbosch University in Cape Town. Um, that was just an incredible experience, I loved it. Had so much fun there. It was, it is, South Africa's an incredible country and, and there was a lot of adventures, there was a lot of learning. There was, again, going through that process of trying to fit in because I moved to an Afrikaans university. So I went to a university that they spoke just Afrikaans in all of the lectures. I didn't speak Afrikaans, so I had to okay. sell. I had to self-study my degree from my books, and also making uh, making friends with some of the nerds in the class that would that would write, <laughs> that would write all the notes, and then <laughs> and then I would uh, I would get some notes from them. So, so you can sp- you can still speak? No, I'm not really. No, I, I a few a few words. Few and I understand words, yeah. a bit of conversation, but okay. um, but I just um, yeah, I never really got into it too much. I, I tried to be honest. I tried. Uh, I started, and I just thought by the time I get up to the level that I need to actually understand a lecture then university is going to be finished. So <laughs> I just like, I'd rather, spend my, I'd rather spend my time doing something else. So yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, so you yeah, prioritized your time. Yeah, it was you cool. Know, you know you knew your limits. Exactly. Two years you don't yeah, know. 100%. Them. So I, look, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. And, I was, that, and um, uh, that was great. In terms of lessons from there, uh, 
got a huge amount of lessons. I just really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, I started to become a lot more comfortable with myself. Um, and then that moved swiftly through to moving to Dubai. And then that, that was a, a big change for me. That was when you know, I was in university. I was getting, I had a decent little job to earn some cash. Mm. What did you study? Um, so I, I studied uh, sports science sports and science. business management. Okay. So I, I, finished, uh, I finished that. And then, uh, you know, it was a great space in university. I was, like I said, I was earning a bit of cash. And then on top of that, you know, my family was supporting. So I, I mean, it was quite a very comfortable lifestyle then. So how was it? Well, how was the first few years here in Dubai? So Dubai, it was, it was difficult because yeah. I moved out here. I didn't, um, I didn't want support from anybody. I was doing this on my own. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was tough. I was trying to, I worked initially for one of the companies here. And then I left that and I was, I was starting a business here. Mm -hmm. um, I started a music company. That uh, for the retail radio background music, uh, so we did all the music for everything from IKEA to Toys R Us, Marks and Spencers, and, and many of the brands here. Now, that was a real lesson in how difficult things can be, kind of day to day, just hustling, trying to get by, trying to trying to make a bit of cash, just what you need to do, just knocking down doors, uh, just constantly driving around the city. It was it was a tough experience, just leaving. So it was technically an 80-20 rule instead of 20-80 yeah. yeah. in your case. Yeah, it was <laughs> tough. Strong about that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly that. So it was, uh, it, was, yeah, it was a lot of hard work that was going in at that point. Um, that, look, there still is, but it was just a different different type. But it was, mm. it was formative. It made me understand the value of a lot of things. It set me up from, for, for setting the business up. So, so it was needed for you? It was very much it needed. It was needed, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, what there's, one, there's, one, there's one thing I forgot to, to mention as well that was, good, was a good experience. So when I was 18... I finished school. I worked in a TV factory in Wales. So it's TV just factory. Yeah, it's okay. a TV factory. So it's just before I moved to South Africa, and I did about four or five months in this factory. And there were twelve-hour shifts, and it was I was just on the factory line doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you know, some of the guys that I met there that I was working with were really nice guys, and you know, I was again able to connect. And, and you know, we had some good chats, even though we came from very different backgrounds. And uh, It was, it was, it had a real impact on me because it was very, it was very monotonous work. Every second week, it would be a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. It was through winter in UK, so I wouldn't see sunlight for four days. Because mm -hmm. when you went into the factory, you only came out 12 hours later. Now, if you're going into the factory at 5:30 in the morning to start at six, and then you're only coming out at six in UK, there's no, the sun's come up and it's gone down again. Mm -hmm. So I literally, wouldn't see sunlight for four days. And I said to myself when I was going through this and it was raining and you know, getting in the car and it's sometimes it's like snowing outside. It was just, it was really shitty. Um, just working as a factory line worker. And it really instilled this sense to me. I just said to myself that I'm, no matter what happens, I'm never coming back to this space. Like, I need to keep driving myself hard <coughs> and I'm never going to come back to to working in, in th this was for me personally and, like, and some people mm -hmm. have a career in that space and that's great but for me it was like that it was a real wake up because some people had been there and they'd been there for 15, 20 years doing the same thing and it was you had to switch your mind off to get through a 12 hour shift because it was the same four movements over and over and over mm -hmm. just looking at the clock over and over people had been there for 15 to 20 years but even people who are there 15 or 20 years they might <coughs> not like it No, they, they don't have the strengths that's to exactly change it. That's exactly what, and that's where I'm yeah. getting to. The people that were there yeah. did not enjoy what they did, but exactly. didn't have 
the drive to try and find something else. They just stayed within their in their safe space. They just knew that mm. if they kept ticking over, they get get paid at the end of the week. Yeah, and they just kept ticking over. There was no drive there. And what I saw from the people that had been there is, that or that were there, it sucked the life out of them. There was no life left. They were just living for the couple of days off that could be midweek. And you actually broke down what they did from, you know, from one Sunday to the next Sunday. And it was it was it was just it was difficult to see. And the guy, you just been like, even guys that were obviously everybody was older than me at that time. Even the guys that were only a bit older than me, I'd be like, dude, why have you been here since school? Like, why, like, why don't you go and explore? Like, yeah. It's not that expensive to, to travel, really. Like, you can get some money together and get a budget, go on a budget holiday, get a cheap flight somewhere, backpack, stay in some really shitty places. Like, why, um, uh, what, why would you stay here? And they just stayed in, stayed in their comfort zone. And, and that was one thing I walked out of that factory and I just thought, wow mentioned something very interesting in one of the talks that the TED talk we had mm. and that's related to that as well you mentioned excuses you are making today that will be the regret which you will have in the end of your life exactly that and that, and that takes us on to our next section so they will you know a lot of people have excuses it's exactly that it's exactly that and I very much believe in that and it's something that I live by day by day yeah. at, at, the, at, at the moment and if we go back to let's go back to the, the adult section as, yeah. as, you, as you were saying so moving to Dubai, um, I, I was here for a few years getting the business off the ground. And then I took a job at a corporate. I was, uh, uh, the business kept on running. Uh, I, employed a, I employed a guy to, to run it for me. It was just a small business. And I went and got a job. And whilst I was working in, that, in, this, uh, in this place, uh, something wasn't right. I didn't feel right. So mm -hmm. I went to doctors one day. And long story short, I, I was diagnosed with cancer. Now, I was of a mindset that I didn't want to get my family involved in this which is obviously wrong but I wanted to deal with everything myself because I just didn't want to stress my family out I didn't want to stress my parents I didn't want to stress um, I just they couldn't do anything for me at the time so I was like right I'll deal with this and if it gets worse then I'll have to let them know because I'm going to need their help and I'm probably going to have to come home but at the time my mindset was very much deal with it don't don't stress them out for something that they can't actually affect you with so I was very pragmatic about it so I, I went and I, I got, um, I had surgery and then I had a lot of monitoring and uh, luckily they, they, you know, they, cut, they cut it out. And then um, I had to go back every few months and I was having these full body CT scans with, these, uh, with this dye, this horrendous liquid I had to drink a few liters of. And then they, so I kept mm. on going through all this process and blood tests all the time. And, and, and it was, there was a lot of hospital visits and, and this sort of stuff, which I, I was just doing on my own. Um, and that was, that was formative in the way that I'm st I still think I, I made the right decision. I know I made the right decision with dealing with it on my own because I knew I could. So emotionally, I was strong enough to deal with it. Maybe that comes from the going to boarding school and dealing with your own shit. Mm. You know what I mean? So I was like, that was my first, my first thought process was deal with this and only ask for help if those people can help you. Yes. If they can't help you, why are you stressing those people out? And that was, whether you think that's right or wrong, that was how I thought. At the end of the day, it's you. It's me, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, you know, go for this. My mum's going to sit, you know, she's back in the UK and she's going to phone me and she's going to be freaking out every time she phones me. And like, how is that going to help anybody? I don't, I don't need that either. Mm. You know, I just need mm. to just get on with my day. Yeah. And so I was lucky. I went, to, like I said, I went to the hospital, came out of the hospital, uh, lots of monitoring and that side of things. And, and I kept it, uh, I kept it to myself. I didn't tell anybody. The only person that knew was my, was my flatmate at the time. Mm -hmm. And actually he was actually my roommate. So we ended up getting so poor over here 
that my friend had to move into the same room as me in a villa share because we could only afford one rent between the two of us because okay. we were trying to get this business off the ground and it was making no money and the two of us actually lived in one room and he knew because I you know, I told him I was like dude I don't feel so good I'm going to go to the doctors and I'm going to check this out and bear in mind like, we didn't have money for a doctor's visit so that was a bit um, I'm obviously glad I made that decision to go but you know, I thought about it twice uh, well I thought about it many times because I was like do I really need to spend three or four hundred dirhams going to the doctor Anyway, I did, and that was the end result. Um, but then in that moment, to think about this decision, you know, to think twice to go to the doctors. Yeah. It's a I tough decision. I thought like four think times about it. About Let's it. Just yeah, I mean, how it could have... It's like a no-brainer for everyone else, you know. Oh, we're going to find some, you know, whatever. Yeah. We're going to chase family members, and we're going to yeah. find the money. But you had a clear decision of mm. not going to go that direction, you know. Mm. To deal with yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. E exactly that. And I think... Um, I know things changed for me after a while. I kind of, it took me a while to process. I kind of put it into a box. I didn't tell anybody about it and I never really thought about it. Mm -hmm. Once I kind of got through it, I, I wanted to pretend like it didn't happen. And that was my way of dealing with it, um, which is probably wrong. So as I, as I say, I got up to about, it was a few years after that. I got to close to 30 then a couple of years later. And that's when I really started to change my thinking and I'm not really sure what triggered it just kind of evolved in terms of the process of starting to read certain things, listen to certain podcasts, um, think a lot, just spend a lot more time thinking about you know, my life and where I wanted to go with it and, uh, and this side of things. So I'd say probably um, 29, 30, 31, that sort of time started to, you know, things were, were really starting to change for me. Um, I came out of a couple of relationships that weren't particularly good for me um, and my, mind, my, my mindset shift, shifted and I started to realize that I'd been making excuses about a number of things that I'd not really dealt with the, the whole sort of the cancer scare side of things. I, I hadn't really processed it properly. I just locked it into a box and not told anybody about it. My family still didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're a few years down the line. So um, as I started to, to, to build out that sort of mental framework of how I wanted to deal with the rest of my life, how the impact I wanted to have, like really sort of actually using it as a source of energy, the, the, the cancer side of things of, of like, starting to really think about it and think, wow, that could have gone in a very different way. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know people that have died from cancer. Um, and was it for you also like a aha moment in that moment? You know, for oft often when you get this kind of diagnosis, it's like you're changing your life within a couple of days. It was or was it more like transition for you? Or like no, for, for me, like, like I said, I, was super I didn't want to deal with it. So I, was yeah. it, I didn't get that... The you didn't want it to accept the that. impact. I didn't want to accept it. Yeah. So the impact of, of the doctor sitting across the table and telling you that mm. is like, holy shit. Like it knocks you and you're like, whoa. You walk out of the doctors and you're like, wow. Like I'm completely on my own. Mm -hmm. In terms of even if you had all your family around you, you're on your own because it's you, it's your body, it's your life. It's whether you've got support or not. You walk out and you're like, what? That? So that had a real impact, but I didn't want to deal with it. So I was in complete denial about it. I was like, Right, let's get to the doctors, let's get it done, let's, let's have an operation, let's do the tests, let's do, I will do everything they want me to do, and let's get it done with, and I'll move on with my life. And mm -hmm. I, you know, he starts talking, about, um, starts talking about survival rates and things like that, and you're just like, whoa, 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 what do you mean survival rate? You, you, don't, you never believe that you'll get that news, you never believe that that's going to be you that, that we're talking about there. And um, I said, long story short, I put, it in a, I put it in a box and I didn't deal with it. And then a few years later, 
and when I started to kind of change, like as I said, like my mindset about business, about life, about setting goals, about getting a lot more focused with where I wanted to go, I started to think a lot more about that and started to process it and deal with it and allow it to become a source of energy for me in mm. a way. Um, and then I, I suppose that at the same time started to you start to think, well, who cares what people think about you? Like, life is as fragile as you've just seen it is. Mm -hmm. uh, why are you concerned about what people think about you? Well, then you start to think about legacy. You start to think about what if I, you know, what if I had passed away? Who's going to remember? What, what have I done? Nothing. Okay, your family are cool, mm. but like you, know, you haven't you haven't impacted the world, and it, and it's this thought process around the world should be a better place because you were here. So all of us should strive to leave a positive impact on the world. And for me, going through that sort of mindset shift of the, over those years, I really started to think about what can I do to have a positive impact. And the thing that was right in front of me was the business. Mm -hmm. It was right in front of me, and I was like. I can build this into something that can have a lot more impact th than me just on my own. Yeah. It'll give me the financial resources to do something about it. It'll give me the resources to start a charity or support a charity um, and really start to impact other people's lives. Yeah. And there's two sides to it. One is the internal team, the team that you have within your business and, and all of the, the, the ripple effect of them having a good experience and them having a good job and them being happy. And the ripple effect that that has on the people that they engage with, the, the family that they support, and all of these things. So that was the first side. It was like doubling down and focusing on the team and thinking, okay, I can have an impact on these people, like mm. a really big impact on these people. And together, we can make the world a better place. Yeah. And I know that sounds a little bit sort of up in the sky, yeah, but yeah. it's truly what my, th what my thinking but was. As a team, as a team. As a team, exactly. Not as an individual. Not as an individual, exactly. As, as a team. Because one person, okay, one person can change the world. You look at people like Gandhi and Mandela, and they, of course they can, but... The, v the much larger percentage of people can have a positive impact in the world when they're part of a team. Mm -hmm. So I figured, right, well, we'll build this team out. You know, we'll, we'll build this business. We'll employ more people. We'll focus on, on, on doing good in the community and, on, and the client relationships we have. And then let's see what we can do in the charity space and start mm -hmm. to actually think, you know what, over like a five to 10 or 15 year period, yeah the world will be a better place because this business was here, yeah. because this group of people were here, and ultimately because I feel that I was here. Yeah. So it's all it's this ripple effect of saying, like, it starts with you, and it starts with you believing that you do have something to give to the world. You do have um, an impact that you can have, and if you build the right team together, mm -hmm. the, the impact can be incredible. So it was all kind of like that mindset of thinking of like, okay, well, how can we do this? And the, yeah. first, the first thing I realized was I have to drop the barrier of what, worrying about what people think of me because you can't have a voice. You can't get up on stage. You can't be doing videos. You can't be pushing podcasts out if you're petrified by what people think of you. So you have to drop that first. And that's a process. And I don't care what people say and you know, all mm. the gurus that you read and blah, 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 and it's not just a decision. It's a process. And it's every day, every day, talking to yourself in the right way, reading the right books, spending time with the right people yeah. to really change that mindset of, like, I actually believe that I can add value and therefore I don't care what some people think yeah. about that. And to be honest, also when people touch you, you know, it's based on their experience. Yeah. Maybe also lack of knowledge. Hmm. So sometimes when you take it very personally, your opinions, hmm. you take maybe the lack of knowledge. Hmm. 
very prestigious, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you think that other person might be right, but maybe that other person has not this information. It's not that well educated. Mm. It's not at that stage. Sure. And often we don't think about that, you know? And, th and that's being empathetic to the people that are speaking to you. Because like, like you said, um, you know, I get comments to me on social media yeah. and they're just, and, and look, the 99.9% .9 of them are very positive. Yeah. And people saying, oh, thanks for the inspiration on this, or I'd yeah. really like to have a chat about that. And it's, it's super positive yeah. and, I, and I love that space. And it's why yeah. I engage so much on, on Instagram and, and engage with everybody. But every so often there'll be a comment where someone will watch a video and be like, they'll, they'll just take it in the wrong way, mm. but they'll take it in a way that that you're trying to put yourself on a pedestal or that you're trying yeah. to tell people what they should be doing. or It's it's not that. And, yeah. and to be honest, as long as you know where your intention is, mm. as long as you know that you're doing it because of the right reasons, then you have the ability, as you said, you have the ability to look at that person and engage yeah. with them and say, you know what? It's cool, man. Like, we're not on the same path here, but like, I wish you the best. Yeah. Like, this this is my intention. If it didn't come across that way to you, I'm sorry. But like that's you know it's just yeah. how it is. If you want to yeah. chat about it, let's chat about it. And nine times out of ten, like you said, it's because yeah. that person has not gone along the similar sort of path about understanding. Correct. Yeah. So the lack of like experience in that field, yeah. you know, it's just giving out. It's, out it's mindset opinion. education, yeah. right? It's not even. Like, it's not, we're not talking skill set. It's about, it's about mindset. And they okay. they yeah. haven't they haven't sort of grown their mindset into a certain space, but yet they're engaging with someone who has, and therefore then there becomes a bit of a. Bit of but a to be honest, nowadays also opinions is everything. You know, you're mm. giving an opinion. It's just being seen of like, oh my God, you know, you have something to say. Mm. And often people are just forced to give an opinion Yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Regardless if they are like, you know, worried or they're angry or so. And then they see on Instagram a specific post, mm. they give an opinion immediately. Because mm. when you don't have an opinion, mm. you're nothing worth, right? Yeah. Usually yeah. you see that in a society. And because silence is usually being seen negative. Mm -hmm. You have to be on each cover you have to be everywhere you not just be seen and have an opinion yeah and that sometimes people don't see that i i, I totally agree and the more the more self-aware and confident you are internally actually the quieter you are correct yeah. because you know one of the things that, that let's say if we're talking to let's say startup founders here you don't have to lead every meeting you don't have to be the loudest person in the room you don't have to be dictating every direction once you build a team of good quality people the leaders should actually be facilitating and encouraging mm. those with the best skill set to do what they do. So if you're in the room and you've got some great, great people and you and you you believe that each of these people are of a higher skill set in their vertical than you are, but yet you're still sitting there at the top of the table and you're telling them what to do mm. rather than asking their opinion. It was Steve Jobs that said, um, why would we hire smart people and tell them what to do? We hire smart people to tell us to tell us what to do. Correct, I remember. And, yeah. and that's it's it mm. seems so simple, but yet it's done. It, people get that wrong so so often from management entrepreneurship. They feel that oh okay the, the, they're the boss that they they have to lead every meeting. There's quite often meetings I sit in now and, and say two or three words, mm. and, with, and they and they will be with a big government client because I'll have somebody in the room that knows more about that subject than I do. I I don't have the insecurity that I need to talk. So mm. more people need to move into the space of being, it goes back to being self-aware, goes back to being you know, uh, confident within yourself that you don't have to be projecting, you don't have to be sort of projecting your knowledge and sometimes you're projecting your lack of knowledge uh, by being the loudest person in the room. Yeah. You know that diagnosis um, in your 20s, mm. um, that chapter, that chapter three, mm. 
was literally a turning point for you as well. Yeah. It was one of the turning points. It was, a, it was a delayed turning point. Delayed turning point. Yeah. Um, how would you summarize? You mentioned implicit in the beginning from 18 to 27. That was yeah. like the chapter for you. How yeah. would you summarize that chapter? 18 to 27 was, was real growth. I went real growth. I, yeah, I feel that I went from I went from being a boy to a man in terms of mindset, but then it was what happened after that that really changed me into, into being my, myself now and my future self, yeah. uh, which was the mindset shift. Yeah. But in terms of responsibilities, I went from you know, being at home a lot and being in university through to you know, being on my own two feet over here and, and, uh, and you know, getting a business off the ground and, mm -hmm. and holding down a job and, and, and you know, just kind of growing up. Yeah. Um, but then it was the next stage, which was which was the real mindset shift, which is once I dealt with um, you know what had happened with the cancer scare and that side of things, and then started to to start to reprioritize my life really, yeah. just understand what exactly what I wanted. Yeah. One of the areas <coughs> I actually um, well, the video I actually discovered you was for the TED TEDx mm. talk you had, mm. um, yeah. and you mentioned something in the end of this talk. Um, the talk was about the power of adventure. Sure. And in the end, you mentioned about, this is not about me, even mm. if you shared your story, it's not mm. about me. This is about the opportunity to share a positive message. Exactly. So I literally inspire others yeah. to learn. Yeah, and, that's uh, and then to be honest, that's how I feel, that this is exactly why, yeah. I'm, why I'm here with you and, and yeah. doing this now. Again, some people could interpret doing a, a podcast on, on your life at, at a relatively young age as being something that's quite self-serving and something yeah. that some people that would be um, that would come across arrogant in a way that mm. they deserve A, B, and C, and, and no. Again, if some people interpret it that way, then I'm I'm okay with that yeah. because I know the intention, the reason I'm, yeah. I'm here is because I know that I've experienced certain things and I've opened my mind in a certain way that I can have a conversation with people through a podcast yeah. that might inspire them to make a different decision and hopefully have an easier time at an earlier stage of their lives than I did because I understand what needs to change. And as I said earlier, the sooner you make that change in terms of understanding self-awareness, understanding insecurities, what they mean and how to get around that, I wish I was educated in that way when I was younger. So mm -hmm. by laying this down on a podcast, and hopefully some 20-year-old listens to this yeah. and thinks that's, that's where I need to get to in terms of yeah. my mindset. I need to stop worrying so much about my peer group. Yeah. And I need to start going in the direction that I want to go in. And if they make a decision that changes their direction for university maybe they don't go to university and they go down a certain path because they're not so worried about what their parents say anymore I, if if that happens then that's why i'm here yeah i mean you know interesting that you mentioned about is you know talking about your life at that young mm. age usually you think about you have to be 70 80 90 exactly, you know exactly, like exactly we're just getting started haven't done anything yet but yeah. this is actually the pr point of this you know mm. sometimes we not looking back in our life because we have yeah. so much to share already yeah i mean think about you know if you're 20, if you're 30, 40, you have so much to share. That's true. Why are you waiting, yeah. potentially, if you're 60, 70, 80, yeah. to share that later? No, you have so much to share. And there was I this agree. very interesting, I don't know if you saw that graduation talk from Steve Jobs, yes. who talked about the dots, connecting the dots. Yes. They only connect very similar. Backwards. Each chapter is connected. You cannot yeah. go through a specific chapter if mm. you not went through that other chapter exactly prior. That, yeah. And often, for young people, we say, oh, I want to be there. You know, when mm. you entrepreneurs, when they come to me, I want to... I want to make a million if dollars. If I have 100,000 followers, then we yeah. do. You know how many times I heard, if we have, if we have. Okay, but what do you do when you go to, to reach there? Exactly. 
you have to go through specific chapters. Exactly. But it's this you know, overnight success understanding. Which is causing a lot of problems because they go through Instagram and they go through their social channels exactly. and they start seeing all these kids that are actually, to be honest, bullshitting half of it. Yeah. Um, I even see it here. I mean, look, I, I can't tell you the amount of times where I've met certain people and I've engaged with them and they come across as super successful and they're driving this car and they're doing that and they're doing the other and they, they've got all of the external things that it's make extreme in Dubai by the way. Uh, I know it's extreme in Dubai <laughs> it's but, but it's a good it's a good kind of like test bed for that it, it is extreme in Dubai yeah. and people come across in a certain way but then actually when you get to know them and you become let's say if you're just closer acquaintances or they become friends anyway you realize that there's it's all built on insecurity and that actually half of that is not there mm -hmm. um, that they'll say they're involved in A, B, C and D companies and they've got this startup and they've got that and actually when you dig in they're like none of that is actually doing anything Mm. Um, but they like the idea of it, but they don't put in the work to make that happen. And that whole facade, that whole that whole side of things is is, is built purely on insecurity, because they 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 built up a reputation. And now that now they're screwed because they built up an, a reputation for being seen as this uh, successful, whether it be athlete, business person, wh whatever. And they've they've tied their identity to it. So now they have to upkeep that because they've, they've, they've tied their character and their identity to it. And now they've got a real problem because that how do they go back to reality of where they actually are mm. when everybody that they deal with has identified them because of their behavior, they've identified them in a certain space. Now this is a, this has caused real issues. At the end of the day, it's just a mask what they put on. It's a, a mask. It's a, it's a, um, it's it's a mask. It's, a, it's a exactly a mask. And when you take off the mask, yeah. they feel being naked. And Exa being exactly naked means exactly you have that. nothing. Exactly. But actually, you have yourself, and that's what people don't understand. You have yourself. Yeah. You don't 100%. need to have external, as you said, external, whatever you have, a car, whatever. You don't need to have it. Yeah, I t I t look, I totally it can agree. It taken away immediately. And you look at somebody like uh, Lewis Howes' book, um, The Mask of Masculinity, talks about the same sort of thing. I haven't mm -hmm. read the whole book. I've just, um, just the bio and, and quite a few of his podcasts. Um, but it's a similar sort of conversation around this mask that we have. Uh, we're talking to two guys here. The mask you have as guys of being like super masculine, mm. and it's got to be type A and strong, and like all this sort of stuff, and that can cause a lot of issues in relationships, in how you deal with, in the business environment. Mm. You know, you're type A, you're, you're the boss, you're the entrepreneur, you're the CEO of the company. Therefore, you've got to have the loudest voice in all the meetings, and you've got to dictate everything, and you've got to tell people what they need to do. It's all bullshit. That's not how you succeed. It's 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 just it's sim it's simply not. And um, when we go back to uh, this whole mindset and, and, and people identifying with, uh, let's say, this certain success that they, this external success that they've tried to push out there, and they are identifying with, they're identifying with it. They've built, they've tied their, their, their self worth to it. It's a real problem, and you know, in, a, in a softer way, I, I was listening to a podcast when I was running this morning, and it was all about the mindset of the athlete, mm -hmm. and it was the same thing. It was talking about when an athlete goes, let's say, over thirty. Um, although in certain sports you can continually improve from, the, from there drastically, especially in endurance sports. But let's say their, their times start to decline a little bit. They're getting a little bit older as they maybe approach 40. And, but they've been wrapped up. They, they've tied their identity to being the successful athlete. Mm. And now they're no longer the successful athlete. And you see it with a lot of professional sportsmen, whether it be Olympians, footballers, which, whichever. Um, and they come out of this space of being the pro footballer or the World Cup winner this and they go off a cliff because mm -hmm. they don't know how to deal with reality when they're not 
in the England team, let's say, for example, they're not playing international sport, and they're not getting paid all these dollars anymore, and they're, they're not, they, they, they intrinsically tie their identity to being that person, that footballer, that successful A, B, C, or D. Mm. What happens when you get dropped? Yeah. What happens when you get injured and you're no longer running onto the field in front of 40,000 people? That's an extreme case, but it's the same mindset, it's the same mental set of mental problems that somebody has when they're trying to portray anything that they're not. Because once you do that over time, that even your friends believe that and your acquaintances all believe that, mm. you've created a cage for yourself. Yeah. So if you're not being honest with yourself, you're going to cause some major problems down the line because it's all going to unravel at some point and you're going to be sat there and going, this is my entire identity here. So you have to be true to yourself. You see that so many times in other industries as well, like so politics as well, in the politics, you know, so yeah. many, let me talk about even older, you know, they not want to give up their position because hmm. they want to, you know, staying in power. Of course, cause because they're, they're identified. Same yeah. as if, imagine if you're, you power, if you're president. You nothing. Yeah. Of course, imagine you're president, then all of a sudden you're not. Exactly. It's, it, it's difficult. Nothing, it's technically, yeah. And, and it's the same thing where people wrap themselves up and work in that space. If you're the CEO yeah. of a company or the marketing director, or you're anything senior in a business, mm. and you're known as that, like, like let's say half the people that are engaged with you want to engage with you yeah. because of your work position. Yeah. Um, you know, if, that's the, if that's the case, then what happens when you lose that job? then all of a sudden you're like, you're not, you're no longer the, let's say the CEO of XYZ company. You're not yeah. the, you know, the founder of some cool startup when it fails. But this is also what you mentioned when you say, if it fails, you're trying to not accept if it fails mm. because you don't want to see the reality. Exactly, yeah? exactly that. But, this, but this, fear, this fear of failure stops a lot of people. And, mm. and it goes back to, you know, as I said in that TEDx talk, it's, you know, it's the, um, it, it is the excuses that you're making today that become the regrets that you have later on in life. And th the background to that is people will make excuses about taking themselves outside of their comfort zone. They won't chase their adventure. They won't seek out something that's way outside their comfort zone. They won't set these massive goals and then go and chase them. Because if you set a goal and you put it out there to the world, what happens if you fail? Now you're embarrassed in front of everybody. Mm. Now you're, like, if you've tied your worth to that. So you... It, you have to be willing to, to look stupid. You have to be willing to get way outside your comfort zone in order to find any success, whether it be in sport or whether it be in business or, or, or anything. And that's why, I mean, I posted yesterday about, uh, um, about the, the next ultramarathon I'm doing. And the reason mm -hmm. I put it, it's way outside of my comfort zone. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's so much further than anything I've done before. But I put it out there. And the reason I put it up on Instagram is because it's like, it's out there now. Yeah. Now, now, now it's out there. But that's interesting and that you mentioned it. And it helps me. It helps me with my mindset yes. as well. That like, cool. I put I put it out there. Now I've got. Now I've got. Now I'm going to chase it. It's interesting that you mentioned about. You know, there are so many techniques to actually force yourself to yep. grow. You know, you tell someone, so you're you know, eligible yep. now, or you ha you you know, people yep. take you accountable for that. What you say, and 100%. it works. But it's interesting that it works on your side. For example, I know myself. I would. It doesn't work on my side. If I tell someone, I would do that. Okay. The chance to do it is maybe high, but mm. it would not, not necessarily guarantee if I do it. No, if no. I keep it by myself and I know I can grow myself, then it better works. But it's very interesting that you mentioned that because mm. I, I had this couple of years ago. I read a book, something related to that. You know, like life hacking yourself. Yeah. And specific techniques, but specific techniques doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. It, it doesn't. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an example from, yeah. the, from the podcast I listened to this morning, yeah. for, um, <laughs> for, fortunately. And it was a, a lady that was multiple um, Ironman world champion, yeah. uh, multiple um, 
off-road uh, off-road triathlon champion. Anyway, she's basically been mul- uh, world champion in about three or four different disciplines. Yeah. Now, she said um, when she first started to become a professional athlete, she was getting paid a bit of money, but not a, lo- not a lot. She mm-hmm. had a few little sponsorships, but she wouldn't tell anybody that she was a professional athlete because she felt shy about it. Yeah. So even though technically she was, because she was getting paid mm. and it was her job, yeah. she wouldn't ever go around and say she was a professional athlete. She'd be like, oh, you know, no, she does a bit of this. No, I get, no, I get a couple of sponsors. But she always played it down. Yeah. Now, she also had a, she said at the time, she had a coaching staff that told her that she was really bad at certain areas and just mentally was not good for her. Fast forward a few years and she moves to California um, to, to double down on the training and, and, and just get within a different coaching group and et cetera, et cetera. And she was like, it was amazing because in, in Scotland, where, where she's from, it was all about downplaying everything mm. and not being that person. But she's like, you come to America and everybody just tells you about how awesome they are. So she's like, then, then you start a completely different dialogue. So she listened to this for a little while and she's like, oh, it's a bit weird. And then she started to think, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's a reason why all these people are talking this way and thinking this way and behaving this way. So she started to say that she was a professional athlete. She'd hang out with professional athletes. She, she, she engaged in that community and in that mindset of being a professional athlete. So therefore, when she woke up in the morning, she's like, I'm a professional athlete. So yeah. I need to go and do A, B, C, and D. Yeah. I'm not someone that's half a professional athlete. Oh, or yeah. I'm just playing at it. And I'm, or I'm lucky to get a few sponsors. She's like, I'm a damn professional athlete. I can get mm. my ass out of bed. I'm going to go train. And she's like, it was incredible how her performance completely changed. And she was on the path to becoming world champion because her internal dialogue changed. No, so all about the mindset, actually. Well, all you've got to do is yeah. look at Conor McGregor. Conor, yeah. Conor McGregor was, was in, the, like, in the depths of dark, dark gyms, going nowhere, not doing particularly well in the early stages. And he was just telling himself that I'm going to train and train and train and I'm going to be champion of the UFC. Now, whether you like him or you loathe him, if you watch Notorious, his, his documentary on Netflix, if you watch that, you will get an understanding of the mindset of where he's come from, of some pimply face young kid that just has this incredible drive and this incredible mindset to get himself to where he needs to be. And he was, you can't even describe how far away he was from this. And he had a, a, a girlfriend at the time that he obviously later married that was basically funding the two of them from her job mm. just so he could go and train in the gym. And he'd train like two days, sorry, two, t- uh, twice a day in the gym and just training, 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 training. He's like, one day I'm going to be this champion. And now, we, yeah, he's a lot of bravado and he's, a lot, you know, he's very outspoken, but it's that mindset of like, no, nothing surprises me here. He's like, I told myself I was going to be here 10 years ago. So I was just waiting to get here. Yeah. Like, so nothing phases him. Like he's in front of 10,000 people. Yeah. He's like, cool. Because he sees I've been waiting for this. Exactly. So it's this visual, it's a visual, yeah. visualization, Agreed. right? Yeah. But visualization comes from your internal dialogue. So going back to the podcast this morning, and this lady, once she changed her internal dialogue and told herself that she was, you know, she, that she was a professional athlete and she was going to be world champion, and she started speaking mm. to herself, she started to believe it. And you know what? It, like so much of professional sport, that, that top 10%, they can be the same skill set, the same fitness level, that, bet- that position between first and last often is just what happens inside the head on race day. Now, if you're fully, you fully believe in yourself and you know that you're, mm. you deserve to be there and that you're, you have a real shot of being a world champion, in that mindset, that, that sort of framework, that visualization will take you through to that space more often than, more often than not. So, yeah, Very that's true. interesting. Yeah. Very true. 
I think it has to be a diff different chapter, a uh, different uh, podcast. Just yeah. talking about this. No, so much I so. could talk so yeah. much about this. Trust me. This how is much, uh, how much, how much so already talked about. Yeah, what forty. So yeah. let me wrap up with the last chapter. Okay. Last chapter. Last few mm. years. Uh, great media group and your sport. Yeah. So the challenges. So sp yeah. This is a. This is the Let's say from the thirty plus. The fun stuff. So look, that that was. Um, th th this was all part of the mindset shift as yeah. well. Um, deciding to kind of awaken the way that I thought about myself, my internal dialogue. And one way of doing that is by pushing, by setting big goals and by pushing yourself to your, to your limits to find out what you're made of, to find out how you operate, and to become very, very self-aware. Um, as I said in that TEDx talk, I, like I fully believe when you're chasing these big adventurous goals, you become very self-aware because you start to realize where you're good, where you're bad, uh, where you could potentially improve, but more importantly, where your strengths are and where you can double down. Now, for me, going through going through rugby, I absolutely loved that. There was a lot of camaraderie and, and teamwork, and, mm. and I really enjoyed that space. I got through to um, playing for the international sevens team, um, going on tour, uh, you know, w with the with the national side, which was incredible. Um, and then I I pretty much broke my knee, so I snapped my knee in a, m in a number of places, and it put me out of that was the end of my rugby career, and that was devastating at the time. It really knocked me back. At what age were you? Um, I would have been about thirty. One. 30, about 30. I think it was 30. Mm -hmm. um, so it really knocked me back. And uh, my identity, going back to the identity conversation, I was you know, I was a rugby player here. I was playing for national team. I was like, I identified with so much of that. I identified with the club that I played for. And all of that was very much part of who I was. So to lose all of that when I broke my knee was, was very difficult. And I had to look at to different areas. And that was when I really started to change my mindset on a number of things, focus on the business a lot more. And really start to prioritize. Okay, fine. I don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. What What do I want out of life? What do I actually want? What am I searching for? And going through that process has actually made me so much stronger in, in terms of where it's got me today. So after the rugby, I um, I started to look at, at running because I it was the first thing I could do for rehab was just starting to run. But so it's tough on the knee. It is, you see. But no. like I've gone through I've gone through cycling, but then yeah. I started just little bits jogs, little bit jogs. It's and. The issue with what I had, I, I snapped my ACL, my cruciate. It's the side-to-side -side movement of rugby when you're trying to step ah, sidestep people. Okay. That was the issue. Mm. But you can run in a straight line mm. fairly soon after this injury. Well, I say fairly soon, like a few months down the mm. line. But you can run straight. You just can't move side-to-side. -side. <coughs> so I, I got into the running side, and I, and I was I was really enjoying it. So I was doing it in my own time, and, and I ended up signing up for a marathon, which was something I'd always loved to do. And it was a crazy story. I went f to meet a friend of mine for coffee. I was like, oh, no, one day I, like, I really want to run a marathon. He's like, marathon in five weeks, Dubai Marathon. I was like, five weeks? I was like, mate, kidding me. there's absolutely no way that's ever going to happen. And within a couple of days, I thought about it. I phoned him back. It's a good friend of mine, Marcus, who owns, uh, who owns Inner Fight. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a crack. I was like, what can, what's the worst that go wrong? I, I, I don't finish. I mean, so what? Let's, let's, let's have a go. So I trained hard for those four, four and a half, five weeks, and yeah. uh, it, it, no, it went well. I, I got my target time. I came. But you were running half marathons before, right? Or any training? No, nothing. 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 I'd, I'd never Did done more than ten k. No, never. Okay. Um, the jogging that I was doing at the time was like five, six, seven k. Eight k was a long run. Okay. Um, so I'd never done more than ten. Okay. And then five weeks out, then did the marathon. It, it went. It went well. I was happy with my time, and I just thought to myself, I love the simplicity of it because okay. you can push yourself and push yourself and push yourself into a hole 
and really start to understand like what you're made of and what you're capable of. And I really I really enjoyed that process of pushing yourself into a into a difficult spot and just seeing how you respond. And when I started to do that more and more in training, I started to realize I was getting stronger mentally mm. because I was training my mind to deal with stressful situations. And I started to realize that things at work were becoming easier mm -hmm. because I was getting stronger mentally. So I was like, okay, I need to double down on this space. So then um, I signed up for an ultramarathon in Wales and did that one. And then uh, then signed up for the Marathon de Saab, the 250 kilometers self-supported across the Sahara Desert. And that was an absolute game changer for me. Um, now those that are interested in that story, uh, go and, go and uh, have a look at the TEDx talk and yeah. uh, go into a bit more detail on that. I put the link in the show notes as okay, well. Okay, so great. So, uh, so that yeah, that was that, that that was an interesting one, and and the goal setting that I did before that, and and how I went into that race, the reasons I went into that race, feeling very insecure about my capabilities, and mm. and there, there was I explained all of that on the TEDx. But coming through that process and coming out the other side, and I was like, wow, everything is so much easier. I really understand what I'm capable of. Understand that what's a real problem and what's a perceived problem like because when you're out in the desert and you're running there's mm. stuff's going wrong all the time and you're sleeping in the sand it's, it's you don't you don't wash for or you don't shower for, for six seven days you, yeah. you know you run six marathons back to back in the dirt you posted the other day a picture about mm. like runners in desert mm. and something underneath like this is what you want to see after two three days running in the desert like mm. few few buildings or few houses you know tents ah, you know that, what, you what, what was it i tell you what that like one was we w so um, you know something which we take for granted yeah and it you was run in the middle of it nowhere it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't quite that but it was it was similar so it was a different race i went down to the wahiba sands down in oman yeah and myself and uh, and my friend marcus we ran 140 150 kilometers across that desert yeah um, but it wasn't part of an event we just we went we just went down there okay um, we did that over three days. So it was about 50k a day, something like that. Um, and the last sort of 15 kilometers of that, you've got these sand dunes the size of cathedrals and you're weaving your way through them. They're the biggest mm. sand dunes I've ever seen, much bigger than the Sahara that, that we saw. And you've crossed one, one side of the desert to the other side of the desert. You've seen nothing apart from a few camels and some Bedouin farmers. And you've just done 150k and you're dirty as hell and you're carrying all the stuff on your back. You come over some of the crest and some of those last sand dunes, and they're, like I said, they're mountains. And you just see the ocean. And you see the ocean in the distance, and you come down. Literally, the sand finishes at a road. On the other side of the road is some gravel, mm -hmm. and it's the beach, and it's the sea. So literally, the desert comes all the way to the edge, and there's just a little bit of coastal area. So you come off these sand dunes, and you literally just drop the bags, cross the road, and nice. just carried on straight into the water. And after not showering at that ca at that spot, I hadn't showered for three days, and, and Nice. Yeah, done that sort of 150k, and we were we were pretty smelly. Uh, so it was yeah, it was pretty good. That's what you wanted to see. But these are the you know how you say it. These are the moments you crave for doing that oh, long distance run. You remember these are the memories. You remember that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the, the that's the memories. Okay. It's, it's putting yourself in stressful situations and yeah. realizing that you can get yourself out of it. It's realizing that when your back's against the wall, you do actually have the capabilities to sort your own shit out. Mm. Um, and you take that into business every day. I mean, yeah. as the bigger your business will grow, the more you realize that you, you are just a firefighter. Yeah. You're, you're putting out problems all the time, trying to strategically move forward, but at the same time, there's always something going wrong. Mm. And it's about minimizing the damage when those small things go wrong and making sure that no big things go wrong. Yeah. So 
ultra running is quite similar because all of a sudden you get a blister, all of a sudden uh, you roll your ankle and you fall. You've still got 100 kilometers to go. How are you going to deal with this? So it's, it's understanding the set of problems that's in front of you. And this is one of the biggest lessons I've learned from ultra running. The set of problems. There's always multiple problems when you dig into it. When you look at the set of problems, which one of these problems is actually a deal breaker? So what's a real problem? What's a perceived problem? So you put this into the business context. You sat in your office. 20 people have just come to see, see you over the course of three hours, and all of them have got a problem. Now, you need to prioritize which ones are actually a problem that are going to bring the house down, and which ones can be put on hold, and they're just perceived problems. And they can be perceived problems because the person that's working on it at the time thinks it's a big problem in their department. But when you step back, you're looking at everything. You need to think what's going to bring the house down. In, in the case of ultra running, what's going to stop you from finishing? And what's just going to be uncomfortable, but you can deal with it. And it's the same in, it's the same in life, it's the same in ultra running, it's the same in business. And, th and that, that sort of that decision-making framework, taking that into the business space, although it sounds simple, is an incredibly powerful tool. Because then what that does, it ends up focusing your time. And as an entrepreneur, you never have mm -hmm. enough time. You're always time short. So prioritizing your time and focusing on the things that will have the most impact is how you scale and how you grow. Very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Um, Tom, last few years, mm. I want to know what is the summary of these last few years. You talked about, I keep, keep hearing firefighting. Yeah. And you know, and what you just mentioned about, you know, trying to minimize the, the, the impact, negative impact. How would you summarize the last few years? You talked about expanding. Yeah, you I know, create media group. You talked about moving, and what I can see actually, and I, I wrote this down here, is like continuous growth. Mm. You're not over exaggerated. You know, you're not like okay, from one day to another year, mm. you expanded, let's say, 150 percent. Mm. No, you gradually growth. Yeah, over the last eight years, and which actually itself is a success formula. You know, because you take it step by step. Sure. And I think it's <coughs> the last few years has been a, is, is, has been a few things, and um, one of them is is understanding the true power of hard work. Yeah. And to put that into some context, although it sounds quite straightforward, it's it's incredibly clear to me how many people just don't do it. It's the ability to outwork your competition. It's in front of everybody, but yet so many people just don't do it. Like I, 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 the people that we compete with, I know that the hours that I put in, I know that the hours that the agency puts in as a, as a collective team far outstrips so many of our competitors and it's allowed us to, to move forward because we'll stay to send that extra email. We'll stay to get that job done. We'll work on the weekends to make sure this is delivered. When it's all those little things that add up, and it was a conversation I had with one of my, uh, one of my guys yesterday, it's and it's somebody, someone actually asked me this question. We've, we've had some recent growth that's quite considerable. That the, the market will know by the time this podcast comes out, but it's not something I can announce just yet. But it's, um, it's some account wins with some very significant sort of uh, gov government implications. And, and somebody that knows this said to me, how has all of this happened? What's changed? Because the last six weeks have been the most significant in the history of the company by a long way. And they said to me, how, is, how has this happened? And I thought about it for a little while, and, I, and I, my response was that there isn't one seismic shift. It's every single hour that we've put in. 
It's every single time that I've sat in a coffee shop, which is every single weekend for the last, apart from one trip away, I, most weekends I'm in a coffee shop and I'll do eight to 12 hours over the weekend that I know a lot of other people are not doing. And it's, it's, it's time and time and time again putting that work in mm. where something happens. It's that one email that you send on a Friday just before you finish your last coffee and go back home. It's that you, you just never know. And that's it. Everyone's looking for the big break. Everybody's looking for the quick win. But it's not. It never is. The, the route to success is, is just the grind. It's over and over and over and over again because you can never, going back to your Steve Jobs quote, mm. that all the dots line up when you look backwards. Because I look backwards from where we are now to where we were three years ago and I can see why these things happened. I can't see the next three years, obviously, yeah. but I can see why those things happened. So let me uh, stop at that point quickly. The last three years, when you say you saw the dots, mm. how were you summarizing these dots? In terms of... How the last three years, how would you summarize them? So it would be continued growth yeah. based on... Let's, well, we can come up with... If, we, if it's summarizing or you want, <laughs> you want a chapter title again, but summarizing... Chapter, chapter title, let's say. Okay let, title. Me, okay, let me think something a little bit more creative than that. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot now. Um, power, of a, power of a team and how insecurities influence that. That would be a chapter title for you. And the reason what I'm saying there is, is again, really understanding and, and trying to instill in everybody that, that works here is that it's okay not to be good at certain things. Mm -hmm. As long as you're good at the specific role that you're here for, then we can all work together in different ways. But even within your vertical of whatever you're doing, and my, myself very much included, you know, digital is a big space. We're now operating across CRM, um, deep diving in e-commerce platforms, all sorts of digital marketing, full video production and content creation, um, IT servicing mm -hmm. and for, for small, small um, office spaces, medium office spaces, large events. There's so many areas in this business that I am not the expert on, and I'm perfectly okay with that. But we're all working together, and we're winning as an overall collective because I'm not, I'm not projecting my insecurities on the team. I'm quite happy to sit in a meeting and say, it's cool, you run, you run with that, it's just not my space. Yeah. Um, and relying on the team because everybody coming together with their certain skill sets, and that's what's happened massively over the last three to four years, is we've really built out our team before it's been hinged on one or two people, myself and one or two other people. Mm. Now we have a team of significant strength across many different verticals where therefore the dependency on me is much less. So now I sit there and I look at where we're going as an agency and the sort of work we're doing and, and the level that we're delivering at. And it's just, it's so clear to me that the, the sooner as an entrepreneur that you can drop the arrogance and you can drop the ego and realize that the real strength is in the team that you pull together. It's not in you. As soon as you realize that as an entrepreneur, that's when you really start to scale because Very true. People will help As I said, the collective is it's, great. It's, it's always about the collective. And the more ego that's brought into yeah. the office space, the more detrimental it is to growth. I did yeah. a short video the other day, and it's the inverse relationship between control and growth. If you feel like you have to control everything because your insecurity is telling you that you have to add value by controlling and dictating, that has an inverse relationship with growth. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to trust the people around you. You have to be able to let them make their own mistakes. Make their own mistakes. You have to let them be in charge of that space that they're working in 
And if you release control and let people, good people do what they're good at, your company will grow so much faster than if you're trying to dictate because, you're because your insecurity is yeah. telling it's you you have to make a decision. Exactly. The insecure that, so managers are... That's what it is. Yeah. Micromanagement is, Micro. is pure insecurity. It's poison for any organization. Absolutely. You know, in each book, I'm going to mm. wrap up slowly. In each book, there's a copyright section. Okay. Don't copy this unless you X, Y, Z. Do you want people not to copy certain parts in your life? Say, oh, you should better not do this, what I have done in the past. Don't kill yourself. Go directly in the desert without training. Or what you don't want people to I do. I want people to go and do that. <laughs> I want people to go and chase their adventure in the desert. <laughs> without training. And okay, <laughs> don't, don't do it without training. But um, I want people to go and put themselves into very difficult situations. Yeah. Um, what I don't want people to do is to be more like me quite a few years back around overthinking and worrying too much about what people thought, thought of me. That's the one thing that... that if I look back, it's, it's, it had a real significant impact on the decisions that I made for so many years. And that's the one thing that I would say, is d don't go through that journey, you don't need to. The sooner you can change your mindset and educate yourself, and, y and, and whoever's listening to this is very fortunate in today's day and age that there are so many resources now and it's becoming so much more socially acceptable because of the likes of Jay Shetty, because of the likes of Lewis Howes, and many others like him, Gary Vaynerchuk, and many other like those guys that um, that are telling that story, that, that, are, that are pushing that narrative and making it very popular to, to have self-love, to have self-awareness, to have uh, this framework, this, this framework of, of decision-making that allows you to fill your cup up, to al that allows you to say, it's okay that I'm not good at that, but it's great that I'm good at this, and to have that internal dialogue. Mm. When I was younger, we didn't have that. There was no... There was no people on the internet creating videos that, that, that told you that, that. There was, okay, Tony Robbins at his events type of thing, but... You don't have... There was, not, not there was no engagement. So, yeah. so, so now look, what the youth have is they have this power, this incredibly powerful tool of internet and social media. <coughs> if they use it correctly and they fill their feed with the right content, it can be an incredibly powerful tool because they're just consuming, I mean... It can um, be, but the, the lack of knowing how to use it. Exactly. You know, well, look, the, I mean, look... The stats at the moment is that it's five point, on average, 5.4 hours per day of people staring at their screens. Now on Facebook, people are scrolling the entire height of the Statue of Liberty. They're scrolling that every day in their newsfeed. Now, that's a huge amount of content that's coming into your space. Now, if people haven't educated themselves enough to, to create some sort of framework, they're just Im their mind is going to implode with this crappy content because there's so much of it out there. So you have to go through that audit. You're in the same way you audit your friendship group because they have a significant impact, you have to audit your social channels so that the content that you're absorbing is good for your mind, it's good for your mindset, it's, pr it's motivating you, it's promoting um, a, a positive internal dialogue. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, then, then people can be educated at a much younger age about this than, than I was almost 30 plus. It would be awesome to see kids that are doing this at 17, 13, exactly. whichever, mm. that will change their lives more than anything else, more than any skill I can tell them to go and learn, is changing that mindset. From changing your mindset to mm. closing the book. Closing the book. I close the book, okay. Tom, and I turn the book around. What do I see on the cover? Oh, wow, okay. You haven't talked about the cover design and the title. Mm. What do I see, let's say, what, what do I see on the cover? Let's say I go into the adventure section in the library and hold the book up. What do I see from far away? 
what is what's on the cover it's going to be a split cover it has to be a split cover okay. and i think because it's relevant to the story and these are two areas that have had a massive impact on my life that one of the images would be not necessarily of me uh, but one of the images would be of somebody in the mountains or in a desert just working hard in, in a race it would be a race format they'd be in a race they'd be let's say let's say it's one of the very strong images that you can find if you search for the marathon de Saab on Instagram and go through that it would be one of those images mm -hmm. if, you, if you go to go to Instagram uh, go to marathon de Saab which is written Saab bulls um, and have a look at through some of those images and, you, and you'll see content of people just in dark places they're you know they're in the Sahara Desert they're a hundred kilometers from anywhere they're just struggling they're in a deep deep dark hole and they're just working hard and in that moment they are learning so much about themselves mm. they're, they're training their mind to become so much stronger and that process has had a profound impact on my life and I think that would definitely be one of the pictures one of the images that would mm. be on the on the front cover of the book um, because I, I really believe that, that that physical sports side of things has a massive impact across all areas of life. The other image would be would be work related in terms of with a team of people In a work environment, let's say maybe a brainstorm. So we're being maybe it's a creative space. So teams sitting together. Yeah, a brainstorming. Yeah, yeah. A creative brainstorming yeah. session where. And the reason why that's significant is it that drives home. That drives home the my entire thought process around this that 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 ideas come from everywhere. That a team builds a company, a team builds a business, and it's not an individual. So it would be a collective of people that are actually coming together to build this entity. And that could be, you might be one of the people in the in the brainstorm, like the, the person looking at the book might be the leader in that position. They might be one of the team members in that, in, mm. in that position, however it might be. But understanding that everybody there has a role to play in order to succeed for let's say the organization to succeed or for them in their career to succeed. And, and that hard work, hence the first image, that hard work, and that's what that represents, will have a huge impact on the other side of things, which is hard work in the workspace, hard work in, in sport. But you can say also like the individual hard work. The first yeah. picture is the individual. Yeah. And the second picture is the team. It's collective, collective exactly. Yeah. But obviously the second one can't happen without the first. Of course, true. Uh, title. What could be the title? Now this is the hardest question, you know, like mm. chapters, okay, chapters are chapters, few years, but now putting everything together in a title. What could be the title? I think it would be chasing adventure. Chasing adventure. Yeah, because I, I truly believe that, that the definition of, of adventure is, diff is different from every, for everybody. It can be a relationship, it can be entrepreneurship, it can be your career, it can be sport, it can be climbing a mountain. Okay. So I think the, the context of adventure fits across everything. Yeah. And I think everybody needs to find what their adventure is and they need to chase it. And the word chasing specifically being, being descriptive is that it, it's not finding it. 
it's not being given it it's about chasing it because it's something that's it's going to be a continual process you continue mm -hmm. to chase adventure because it's not like you do one event and you're like cool i've done my adventure tick box and go on to something else it's about continually chasing adventure yeah. and and that doesn't stop and it shouldn't stop because you grow every single time yeah. and people might think oh you're going running again yeah. no cool this and i'm like yeah but it's <laughs> different mountains different distances different this it's different that for me it's completely different for someone else it might be like oh you're doing another long run cool mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to learn so many more new things yeah. by doing it. So it's just continually chasing that adventure. Brilliant. That's it. Where can people find you? Um, I'm most active on Instagram, to be honest. That would be the, that would be the easiest way. So it's at Tom Otten, O-T-T-O-N. And that would be the easiest, easiest place to engage with me because I'm, I'm pretty active there. That's brilliant. That's it. Great. Thank you Two very much. Two hours. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Tom. Right, that was Tom Otten. Best place to find him is on his Instagram page at Tom Otten or on Great Media Group website at www.greatmedia-group.com. Put all the links in the show notes. Alright, that's it. Hope you like this truly sport growth mindset entrepreneurial talk. Interested to hear more from sport and entrepreneurial guests? So then please leave some comments on social media. Suggest the guest speakers learnings worth sharing for other millennials. Which chapters of other entrepreneurs, athletes, innovators or change maps do you want to hear in the future? Leave some comments or drop me a message on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Just don't forget, never give up. Always look up.